What's wrong with this country, Marty? Money. You taught me that. Evil defense contractors had it, noble causes did not. Politicians are bought and sold like so much chattel. Our problems multiply. Pollution, crime, drugs, poverty, disease, hunger, despair. We throw gobs of money at them. Problems always get worse. Why is that? Because money's most powerful ability is to allow bad people to continue doing bad things at the expense of those who don't have it. Listen. When I was in prison, I learned that everything in this world, including money, operates not on reality, but the perception of reality. How is it? People think a bank might be financially shaky. Consequence, people start to withdraw their money. Result, pretty soon it is financially shaky. Conclusion, you can make banks fail. Yes, I've already done that. Maybe you've heard about a few. <laughs> think bigger. Stock market? Yes. Currency market? Yes. Commodities market? Yes. Small countries? I might even be able to crash the whole damn system. Destroy all records of ownership. Think of it, Marty. No more rich people, no more poor people. Everybody's the same. Isn't that what we said we always wanted? Because you haven't gone crazy, have you? Have you? Who else is going to change the world, Marty? in peace. <laughs> Five minutes and 18 seconds after the hour of 11, and this is the month of September. Only one day away from Talktober, by the way. It will then be Talktober all month long. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. This, my friends, is the Rick Emerson radio program. Coming to you live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970. The Talker right here in beautiful downtown Portland, Oregon. It is uh, Tuesday, and welcome to Day 12. It is 503-733-2970. You want to join us today? 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Uh, with your comments, questions, clarifications, kvetches, kvetches, two cents, uh, whatever you might have. Wait, hold on. In honor of the Jewish New Year. Hold on. Let me uh, go to the uh, my Yiddish dictionary. So maybe instead of a... Uh, perhaps instead of a kvetch, you have a... Uh, or or Kavach or, or that. Wait, how about a this? How about a uh, how about a schlock? How about a schlamazel? Wait, wait, no. How about this? Uh, wait, no, no. How about this? How about a vitz? If you'd like to call up with your vitz, uh, which is a pointed piece of humor, a witticism, a wisecrack. Uh, so we have here. My mother once taught me this piece of folk wisdom. He is a hero who represses a Vitz. Word of the day is Vitz. The Yiddish Dictionary. There you go. Not another Jewish New Year. There you go. Uh, all right. It is 503-733-2970. Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane. He's apparently going to take time out from adding all of Sarah's friends to his Facebook account. 
Sarah came in this morning and realized that Richie Bristol was not only adding her, Sarah, to Richie's Facebook account. Richie was adding all of Sarah's friends in Portland. Richie was adding all of Sarah's friends from high school. All of Sarah's friends from grade school. All of Sarah's friends from college. People that Sarah said hi once to on the street three years ago in some other state. Richie had added them all because he's terrifying. So... All right. Truth be told, I don't think he realized it. I think that, that damn Facebook contraption. How would you not realize that you were adding Sarah Dillon's grade school friends? Honestly, he says he hasn't been on there in months, and I believe him. I know he's like, he's like I'm totally creepy on MySpace, but I don't even know how to work Facebook. And Wait, I'm, so it's a Facebook? Remember how that thing happened where I invited every single person I've ever met in my life to Facebook? <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. And most of them declined. Yeah. Uh, yeah. All right. So wait, so did Facebook go ahead and start... Well, how would that even happen? How would Facebook start adding your grade school friends to Richie's account if Richie doesn't even know them? Is Facebook thinking? Is it alive? Does it attain some sort of self-awareness, Skynet style? I All right. don't know. Well, we'll look at... And I don't even know... See, this is why I don't... Facebook seems creepy to me. I mean, MySpace has become sort of a necessary evil. And you do it because it's where everybody is. And it's, you know, it lets you sort of stay in touch with people. And face- but it doesn't show you, like, every time somebody writes on, you know, leaves a comment for somebody or, like, I don't know. It's just creepy the way it stalks Richie you. Bristol just bought a dildo. Yeah. Uh, all right. He, this, this, by the way, Richie has 85 friends on Facebook. 45 of them are your friends, Sarah. <laughs> uh, that's great. There you go. Pretty soon you won't even need to really exist. Richie can just be your doppel. Richie walk and I around the house together. talking to his hand and having the hand speak back in a Sarah Dillon voice. Yeah. Moving right along, it's 503-733-2970 if you'd like to get on board today. You can also email if you like. It's rick at rickemerson.com. Rick at rickemerson.com. Sarah with an H at 970.am. Tim at 970.am. Or Richie with a T at 970.am. Don't forget, one random on-air caller today win a copy of the DC Superheroes on DVD. For the first time ever on DVD, to your favorite superheroes and 18 different action-packed classic cartoons on this two-disc Filmation collector set. Starring DC Comics favorites The Atom, The Flash, Green Lantern, and Hawkman. Uh, so that is on DVD today to one random uh, on-air caller. One other note, by the way, because we had some uh, confusion yesterday about the Mythbusters thing. So it is uh, not sold out. There are still tickets available at the PCPA, uh, PCPA box office, that is Portland Center for the Performing Arts, or Ticketmaster. Uh, an afternoon with the Mythbusters behind the scenes. That is this coming Sunday, uh, October 5th, 2 p.m., at the Arlene Schnitzer Concert Hall. I will be moderating that. I'll be the uh, host of that. And uh, Jamie and Adam from Mythbusters will be there. So tickets still on sale. Get them now! Because uh, they are going quickly. There's still some there, but they're, they're not gone yet. You don't want to be that guy, though. You know, you don't want to be like that guy in Sea of Love with Al Pacino where you show up with your kid, uh, and then you can't get in to do the thing, and then your kid hates you. You don't want to be that guy. So go go to Ticketmaster now and just uh, buy those now. All right, coming up later on today, someone with whom we've never spoken. It's, wait. Is it Ira Melman? No, of course not. It's Julie Walker. Uh, so today we're going to be talking to Julie Walker. From uh, New York, about the slumping financial markets and the meltdown of the implosion, the disaster, and the coming obliteration of all your savings. So we'll talk to Julie Walker about that today. Uh, we will also speak to Bob Noodles Costantini uh, from Washington, D.C., about the political ramifications of the big vote down that happened about 24 hours ago. And we'll see, uh, I don't know, the Quo Vadimus, uh, America. Because I guess they're not coming back today, right? Are they all just gone today? Yeah, they take, they are, they're coming back tomorrow. So they're gone today. Just because? Like they're all tuckered out? Yeah. It's right. more work than they usually do. <laughs> they had to stay for an extra they had to stay for an extra three or four hours yesterday, so they're just gonna have to take a whole day off to recover. Yes. Uh, 
You know, wouldn't it be satisfying to every... Here's a way that we could get this failing economy going again. We ought to have some... And I know that I think the answer to everything is a reality show, but it is. So we ought to do some sort of reality show where once a year, a member of Congress is randomly selected to be in some reality program where he has to go live in government tenement housing somewhere. You know what I mean? Like he has to go live deep inside Chicago or... Uh, some bad place in Oakland or something. You drop him somewhere in, like, uh, Westwood and find the worst apartment we can possibly locate in the area. Stick him in there. One of your elected representatives has to live there for six months. Well, in any event, so we'll talk to Bob Costantini about that. And then uh, CNN Radio correspondent James Roop. So the defense has begun its case in the O.J. Simpson armed robbery kidnapping trial. Jim Roop hates being there, hates the case, hates talking about it, hates most aspects of his life that have to do with O.J. Simpson. So we will talk to him about that today to try to assuage his pain. We will also talk to uh, Nina Parker from TMZ.com today. What else? Uh, our friend Lisa Wood from Rock 101 KUFO. She's their promotions director. She will be here today to count down her top five Teenage lovelorn moping songs as we work our way through the building, leaving chaos and post-traumatic stress syndrome in our wake. So, teenage lovelorn moping songs are top five from her adolescence. Lisa Wood will do that today. Birth of a salesman uh, semifinalist. Our latest birth of a salesman semifinalist in the studio in the 2 o'clock hour. Cannibal watch coming up today. Uh, what Tim referred to as a stray penis watch today. Double geek watch coming up today. Uh, Jesus. What else? Uh, I got a big pile of notes from uh, got a big pile of notes from last night uh, that we'll get to. Uh, we're going to be rolling out a new segment on the program as well today. It is the greatest songs ever made. We'll begin that today uh, because so often we just dwell on you know like Tammy Swindell and her retarded kid. So often we just sell the airwaves of some of the worst things ever recorded. Uh, so we're going to try to give the yang to that yin. Uh, so today we'll have the inaugural edition of the greatest songs ever made. We will also look forward to this Thursday's vice presidential debate, which will be carried right here on this very fine radio station. That is this coming Thursday, uh, 6 p.m., with running commentary by myself, Storm Large, Tim Riley, wraparound coverage from CNN Radio. Uh, it's all very exciting. Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley is working on the following stories for your edification on this Tuesday. Over a trillion dollars was lost on the stock market yesterday while politicians bickered. America lost the equivalent of the entire economy in India, says one newspaper headline. John McCain joins Sarah Palin in a follow-up interview with Katie Couric, where he defends her confusing answers to questions. John McCain may still suspend his campaign again. What it says here. The failure of the bailout affects McCain's poll numbers. Sarah Palin, as we speak, is attending Republican debate boot camp. This one time at debate camp? Mm-hmm. Yes. This is Republican debate camp. Yeah. Boot camp. Uh, President uh, Bush warns of a painful, lasting damage. Who? President Bush... Uh, painful lasting damage if this bailout isn't approved. A local postman will do 18 months in the federal pen for selling dope on his route. A Florida surfer patches up a shark bite with duct tape. STDs are spreading among frisky seniors and boomers. And it's snowing on Mars. Okay. Richie, who might this be on the warm line? Is this somebody with whom I'm supposed to be speaking? Ah, you didn't even notice. Now you've hung up. Whoever that was called, waited on hold, and now they've thrown the phone down in anger and rage. Richie, it's going to come back on you. You Maybe mark Richie my words. busy adding all my MySpace friends. <laughs> He's busy adding people you knew when you were a fetus. Uh, Richie, by the way, is trying to uh, track down. He's, he got a lot uh, on his plate today. We, you know, we often make fun of Richie, uh, but he, he keeps a lot of plates spinning back there. Uh, and right now he's trying to find his first 
his first choice was this guy who's a Harvard economics professor, but he's on the East Coast, and you know, you know, plus he's at Harvard, so he, the guy has a lot of things going on today. He may not be able to uh, to talk with us, but we are going to try to get some economics professor on today, tomorrow, with the latest, to speak to me in the tiniest possible words and the smallest possible sentences to explain what's going on with our stupid broken economy, which just continues to plague everybody like a big plaguey thing. We're joined today, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Exdellen. Hello. Most of them approved my Facebook request. I don't know. I, I, you know, I, think, I don't use Facebook, so I don't know. I don't know. I, I want to delete it, but at the same time, you know, there are a bunch of people on there that I, I haven't found any other way, and, like, my old friends from high school who now think I'm creepy. Wait, so let me ask you this. So where do you come down on the big MySpace Facebook question? On what? Well, I mean, what, cause you, do you have one or the other? Because you, you have MySpace, but you don't have, have a, both. Do you have both? Now, do you actively use both? No, I don't know. I'm, like, on my Facebook thing, I'm just like, I don't know how to use this. So if I don't approve you as a friend for, like, two months, don't be offended. Cause I have so, no idea. So now somebody told me the other day, and it was just one person saying this, so I don't really know. But somebody told me the other day, MySpace, very last Wednesday. That it's all about uh, the Facebook now. No, see, the Facebook is annoying because you can't look at anybody's profile unless you're friends see, with See, that's it. why I don't use it. No, it's just, it's BS. Like, why? Because the fun thing about MySpace, unless you're a douche who's private, you know, <laughs> then you can actually, like, look at people's pictures, like, be like, oh, I went to school with that person. Now they have seven kids. So don't be a private anything. douche. I mean, I can understand for your work or something, but people who are just feel so self-important that they have to... Oh, but, but see, there's no reason for a private profile, not even for your work. Because if it's for your work... I can't imagine what kind of business or job you would have in which you would be doing most of your communicating via MySpace. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, what would your no, possible... I mean... That's what I guess has gotten people in trouble, though, with, like, you know, applying for jobs. Oh, I stuff. see. I see. Because they put on their MySpace profile. What do you do? I strangle kittens. Mm-hmm. So I know people who are actively looking for jobs, you know, constantly, so they just keep it private. So that way, you know, if the employer is looking for them, they can't I see, see any. No, okay. I so can under- like, dude, you were so wasted last night. They can't see that. All right. I can understand that. Or if you're a guy who maybe has impregnated the daughter of Sarah Palin and then put on your MySpace profile, I'm an idiot who doesn't want kids. That's oh. It. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, I don't use Facebook, and uh, at some point we can do maybe a little, little mini topic on this because here's the thing: because I'm, I'm so woefully out of step with some of this stuff, just because the society, the culture, the technology. That we live, I mean, it all just evolves so fast that it is nearly impossible to stay current on all this stuff. So, because first there was, was it Friendster? Was Friendster the first thing that they used? Was Friendster the first web based? You were talking about that the other day. That was, I think, the first web based social networking tool. Until it became Friendsterfied, where you could all of a sudden see who's looking at your profile. Yeah, nobody wanted that. They made that decision, it was them. Yeah, see, nobody wanted that. So then it was all MySpace, and MySpace had an interesting evolution, too, because that didn't used to be a social networking site. MySpace used to be a free online storage facility, kind of like one of those you-rent-it places, but like for, you know, storing files or data or porn or whatever. And that wouldn't make any money, especially now because you can put like a gig or whatever in your Gmail account. So then they became the social networking thing. And you actually used MySpace way before anybody I, I, I knew. Yeah, you were the first running, person. Yeah, I was running Lycus and I didn't have anything to do in the afternoon. So that's why I started yeah, MySpace and then I was a friendster and then I was on MySpace in like 2002, I think. Right, right. Yeah, right. so like years ago. And so the reason that I don't use Facebook is A, I mean, these are problems that I guess the rest of the world would like to have. But it's like, who has time, man? I got like nine different email accounts I got to check. Uh, you know, my work stuff I got to check. I, you know, the, the, the news sites I got to read. I got MySpace to check, MySpace messages to read, MySpace messages to respond to. Yeah, and I run the Rick Emerson Show profile, too, so it's really... So you got like three different ones. Mm-hmm. So it, it seems like adding Facebook to that, that's just one log in a fire that I don't need. Uh, and the, my other thing, and then we'll move off of the MySpace Facebook thing. I will say this. 
that despite all the people telling me that Facebook is really where it's at and that's what the kids are all about and hey, that's what everybody's using and it's the social networking tool for today's upwardly mobile American citizen, I won't use Facebook for the same reason that you don't like it, which is that it has such negative associations for me because I can't look at anybody's profile without signing up to be a member. Mm. And I mean, it's just way too much work. And anytime I add a friend, it shows up on everybody else's page. Like, Sarah just added this person totally. as a friend. I'm like, that's creepy. You know what it's like? It's like going to a news site online, and there's two different versions. Sometimes you'll go to a news, sli- uh, news site like the New York Times or Salon, where they'll let you read, like, the first page or the first two pages of an article, and then they say, well, look, if you want to keep reading, you either got to watch, like, five ads or you got to sign up or something. But then you go to some newspapers, and I'm not going to point fingers. You go to the occasional newspaper, some of them based right here in our own state, where you go there, and before you can read a single line of the article, they're making you sign up for crap and put in your person. No, thank you. I'm done. Mm-hmm. No, I think the Internet has made people increasingly intolerant of having to turn over their personal information or sign up for anything uh, in exchange of having to look at something. So... Yeah, my that. was listening to the Marconi show um, a couple days ago, and they said that they, because I, I wrote a message to Chris Paddock, um, you know, the day of his top five, like, oh, I'm right. stoked to listen to your top five, little emo boy or whatever. And Marconi was talking about, he's like, I just saw, you know, Sarah Dillon, he's like, I just popped up that Sarah Dillon just wrote on Chris Paddock. Oh, see, well, no. How creepy no, is that? No, it's no, no. It's totally creepy, so not making no. sense. Well, now I'm never going to leave, like... No. Leave a message for anybody again. But even when you add friends, it shows all your I, friends. I am. Thank you. No, I'm not going to have any part of that. Yeah. No, no, we're going to move on. All Your right. Brother, keep friends' pictures in a scrapbook. <laughs> That's right, Tim. <laughs> Sorry. Whatever happened to lithotypes? Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Uh, 733-2970. So just a couple of things, uh, and then we'll break here at the bottom. And uh, we'll come back with Julie Walker from New York City, Bob Costantini from The Hill, and so forth. Uh, so I watched uh, uh, just a little bit of, uh, of CNN last night. I was kind of I was here late working on some stuff, and so I got home, and my wife was in what has now become her normal position. They just, we've augmented it with another dog. Before I would go home at night, there's Lara sitting on the couch, remote control in one hand, just a huge... Like a, like a flagon of red wine, like a massive goblet of red wine, which I can tell has already been refilled two or three times, as she's sitting on the couch with Max, you know, with our dog, watching Anderson Cooper and cursing loudly and, you know, and asking herself, what would Susie Orman do in my position? She was on Larry King last night. She was. Mm-hmm. And reading Americans, the riot act, too. Dressed in black. Um, and so I went home last night. Now, the only thing that's changed is now we have a second dog. Uh, so now it's just Lara, the remote control, a big bottle of red wine, two dogs on the couch, screaming at the television, taking the Lord's name in vain, and then every so often going to the computer compulsively checking her stocks to see what they've done, to see if they've magically, like, like if stock gnomes have come uh, during the 15 minutes of downtime between checkings and elevated our portfolio, which, by the way, hasn't happened. So Well, the Dow was up uh, more than 300 points today. Well, that's after that terrible fall. Yeah. That's after pulling 777 points. So we're still down on, what, net 400 points? Yeah, something like that. That's great. Go America. Well done. Jesus. Stays like this. I'm glad I'm not a grown-up. Yeah. Now, being a grown-up is overrated. It really mm-hmm. is. Uh, but I have a few d- notes from last night, and, uh, and then we'll move forward. So three things. One, now more than ever, especially because Thursday the vice presidential debate is coming up. We have to get Scotty J in here to do a suburban perspective on Sarah Palin. We have to do it. He's probably very busy with his new position. We've got to have him in before the debate, though. So many responses I could make to that right now. Um, I, I mean, because today is Tuesday. The debate's Thursday. So, like, the, 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 the tomorrow or Wednesday, the latest. We have to have former PA Scotty J come back. From his new tomorrow plush Wednesday? digs. Yeah. So tomorrow or Thursday at the latest. 
we have to have Scotty Jacobin do a suburban perspective. Because here's the thing. Uh, when she, when Sarah Palin first came on the scene at the Republican convention, I think I know what Scotty probably would have said. He probably would have been very bullish on her. But that said, Scotty, like many people, Scotty is easily swayed by public opinion and by, you know, whatever it is that Sean Hannity tells him to think. And don't get me wrong. His people and my wife is very easily swayed by whatever Anderson Cooper tells her to think. So... Fortunately, Anderson Cooper just tells her to be stylish. Uh, but Scotty can be very malleable in this way. I mean, he was, and there's no reason to believe that's changed. So we need to get Scotty to come in here and give us his thoughts on Sarah Palin. Um, see, second note from last night. So I was watching Larry King, and he was doing that thing of, uh, you know, they had some people on to talk about the fact that the Republicans just shot down this whole bailout thing. And then I feel all conflicted about that. I mean, I, I really have to tell you, I was watching the TV last night, and they had some... You know, the obligatory, like, blonde woman come on the mountain. The Republicans really need to get a new model. Uh, they've, I mean, they, because it's gotten to the point now where, I mean, it's almost like they've just run out of clones of Ann Coulter, and so they're not having to find anybody who is just female and blonde. So they had this weird, like, chunky, like, kind of drag queen-looking woman come on last night. But, of course, because she's a woman and blonde, like, you're going to believe even the sound off. You could have told, told she was a Republican because she's a blonde woman. And that's the only reason you will ever see a blonde woman on television, on CNN now, is to spout, like, the Republican point of view. Um, so just like, the, just like the Democrats at this point really only have James Carville and Paul Begala. So she was on there, and she was talking about the bailout, and I was just all conflicted about it. I, I just don't even know. I don't even know who. I get so flustered when I don't know who to hate. And I guess right now I can just go back to my default position of hating everybody involved in this. That'll work. Because I guess on the one hand, I don't want stocks to continue to crater. I don't, uh, all of our investments, and I'm speaking now of Laura and myself and undoubtedly everybody out there, you don't want your investments to go down. You know, you want your 401k to get obliterated. You don't want to make people get fired. But But by the same token, I find it almost just like in the fiber of my being, almost down to a cellular level. I find it so impossibly difficult to have sympathy for anybody who needs money from this bailout. I just, it's, I, I, I got to tell you, it just rubs me the wrong way. It really does. I just, I find it so hard to say with any amount of conviction that we ought to be bailing these people out for like a trillion dollars. I just, I can't, I can't bring myself to do it. So, and nobody would have that sympathy for me if I was like 300 grand in consumer debt and couldn't afford my house. They'd tell, they'd tell me to get bent. They'd tell me to go get a studio apartment and get a second job. So I find it very difficult to find any sort of place in my brain where I feel like we ought to be giving $700 billion to people who clearly couldn't manage the last batch of money they were given. So in any event, um, and I, I wrote this note to myself last night that it seems this is the note I made. This is at the 9.37 p.m. last night. Giving bailout money to companies is like bailing your kid out of jail. Eventually, you've got to quit bailing your kid out of jail. You've got to let him get beaten up in the county lockup. And then eventually, maybe he'll learn not to sell heroin. Huh? So if you keep bailing your kid out, he's never going to learn. And then you're going to have to pick him up every 90 days and go front the title on your house. So F them. The official position of me, Rick Emerson, not so much the show. The official position of me, Rick Emerson, right now is F them. Uh, what else do we have? Well, I think that may be it, except to say I watched a bit of the, the new Sarah Palin interview with Katie Couric. Yeah. Which is where John McCain is sitting there like some Amish father waiting to see his girl go out for rumspringa. What she's trying to say is... She doesn't have to answer that. Did he really say that? He did. Uh, there was... Uh, he, I have the whole thing on my website. Yeah, I'm not sure if he used exactly those words, but, it's some, but there's Katie Couric, who is wearing her fashionable, like, Ashley Banfield glasses. 
And as Katie Couric talking to Sarah Palin, and let's have no bones uh, about making this statement. They did, they, they, Sarah Palin just uh, just ate it the last time she was on there. I mean, she just took a big dirt landing the, the last time she was on with Katie Couric. Regardless of one's political outlook, she did not uh, come off as very intelligent, very well-spoken, very deep, very anything. So this was her chance to kind of bail it out and pull that fat out of the fire and go, Look, I can get with the good talking. And at one point, Katie Couric says, So... You, Ms. Palin, you, Governor Palin, have said that you might be in favor of crossing the border and invading Pakistan to keep America safe. John McCain is opposed to that idea. Do you regret making that statement since it conflicts with John McCain? And she hadn't even opened her mouth to respond, and literally John McCain jumped in and he goes, No, 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 no. I mean, she doesn't, she doesn't have to answer that. I mean, I forget the exact words he used, but it was very something very close to, She doesn't have to answer oh, that. Oh, come on. And I kept waiting for Katie Kurt, falsely as it turned out. I, I ill-advisedly waited for Katie Couric to give any kind of a follow-up. And Katie Couric just sort of in the back of her head seemed to be like, did I leave the iron on? I don't know. Do I want waffles or pancakes tomorrow morning? I'm just not sure. Katie was wearing glasses this time, though. Yeah. I wonder when my bonus check is going to come through. Uh, all right, so we should probably take a break. We'll come back after this. Uh, we have Julie Walker joining us from CNN. We have Bob Costantini, Jim Roop, Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Later on, Nita Parker from TMZ. Uh, today's birth of a salesman semifinalist. We'll do Lisa Wood's top five teenage lovelorn moping songs and more. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. We continue next. Don't go anywhere. See, this is why I'm not on Facebook, because I'm just watching you jump through all of these hoops like some sort of meth-addled hamster trying to make sure that all your stuff isn't going to be public. That's stress I don't need. So That's kind of creepy. So I think I went through, I went to the privacy thing. I think I set it so now anytime I do anything, it doesn't show up. All right, well, so the, let me understand. So the default setting of Facebook, well, hold it. Before we do anything else, let's let's do this properly. If, if we're going to do this thing, let me just, uh, Richie Bristol, can you join us in the studio, please? That'll be ever so swanky. Now joined in the studio by our intrepid PA, Richie Bristol. Hello, sir. Hello. All right. Uh, all right. So let's let's talk Facebook. You and I. Hold on. <laughs> oh man. All right. Let's back up for a second. So you have how many MySpace accounts do you have? Uh, Counting the one that you maintain for the station. Oh Six. Six. Wow. Yeah. Six. Now you don't have to tell us what what they all are specifically, like... but why do you need six we MySpace? We got the accounts? Obama one. Yeah, but you don't Obama maintain, but you don't you don't update that anymore. Sometimes that was just for the if you like Barack Obama song. Right. How many? Okay, let me ask you though. Back up. Let me rephrase the question. How many MySpace accounts do you have that you update on a regular basis? In other words, how many MySpace accounts do you have that you, you feel like you got to be checking? You know, three. Three. So a personal one, the Same. station one. And you have two personal ones. So you have Richie Radio and then. Yeah, I don't use that old one. No. What's the third one? Uh the Pimp Squad. The Pimp Squad. Of course, the, of course, you are because you're their leader, technologically speaking. No, I'm waiting for that girl message. <laughs> uh -huh. uh, and then I believe this is Julie Walker from CNN. So we'll have you, uh, Julie, if you can hear us. We'll have uh, we'll have Richie talk to you in just one moment. Then we'll uh, get you right on the air. And then you also have one Facebook account or multiple Facebook one accounts. One Facebook account. I Why? We'll, re we'll return to this issue later. But quick answer: Why did you get Facebook if you already have three different MySpace accounts? Because you guys were talking about it, and then. I tried it out. I don't really like it. It's hard to man maneuver through it. And then it's like it shows too much of your stuff. Like so you just felt like you were sort of on the outside. 
Yeah. When you go back into the room, will you? I just approved a couple of friends. I want you to go and check on that thing and see if it oh. if it says that I did. Because if it does, if it did, then that means this is still stalking everything. I'm just going to delete my uh, account. I don't right. make them my friends too. And can you uh, <laughs> can you go see if this is Julie? Okay. All right. Thank you so much. All right. It is confusing. All right. This is see. This is why. And don't get me wrong. I have uh, you know you know I run a whole bunch of uh, different websites for different outside projects. I have a MySpace account. We have a, the show MySpace account. We have uh, an account that's just for sound from the show. But this is really why old people, just to get to that point where they're just, just screw it, I'm just going to sit at home and listen to my 78s over and over again and shut the blinds, wait for the ice wagon to come by. Because it just starts to be, it starts to be very taxing on you. Because it just gives you more stuff that you've got to start checking every single day. Mm-hmm. And especially like yours, where you were releasing all this information and then you didn't really realized that it was happening. Like when it was re- like recording my purchases, like when I bought those shoes at Seriously. Zappos. Sarah just bought a belt and a gag, you know, or whatever, you know, okay. whatever, but, you know, but I mean, whatever it is. And it was just broadcasting your spending habits to the entire world, which is maybe not like the shrewdest idea. Mm-hmm. So, all right, let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, CNN Radio correspondent from New York City, Julie Walker. Hello, Julie Walker. How are you today? I'm good. How are you? Uh, on a scale of 1 to 10, I'd say in terms of personality, an 8.5. In overall charm, I'm giving myself an 8.7. Looks uh, a 4, but I compensate for that with uh, my superior wit and guile. Well, Rick, while we're still talking about the light stuff, I just have to say I heard you before mentioning Facebook, and I'm on Facebook. So is it, what, why don't we friend each other or Facebook each other, as the saying goes? Do people I, really? I, I, I just joined recently, and... I, I think it's actually something that's very good to be on. All right, I have three questions for you. One, do you have both a MySpace and a Facebook account or simply one or the other? No, I only have a Facebook account. I, I, I like your other, um, like the other person who was just speaking, I don't have time for all these different accounts. And I was told, whether it's true or false, that MySpace is for um, sort of a, a bit of a younger generation, although I, I could be wrong. I don't know. Uh, in, and Facebook was for more, uh, you know. But I, You don't want to look like a 12-year-old girl. But I am a 12. No, you're <laughs> right. I don't want to. I was told that those are the differences between MySpace and Facebook. And I actually found the MySpace pages harder to read. Um, you know, you could put up all of these different backgrounds and things. And I just found Facebook a little less. Complicated. It, it should be noted, uh, you were really all right. I had a listener, he says, um, he says, I couldn't bring myself to open a MySpace account because I'm not a 13-year-old girl and I hate how things look. Auto-playing music, horrible wallpapers, shiny, sparkly things that twitch, or, twitch and rotate all the time. Uh, he says, ick, I hardly use Facebook, but it does seem a bit more for grown-ups. I will agree that that is, that a lot of times you look at a MySpace page, and let's just be honest, MySpace pages sometimes are decorated as though there's some sort of a low-rent car parked outside a nail salon in a strip mall in a bad part of town. Hey, I have a low-rent car, but, you know, you're right. You're absolutely right. right. You can't, that, that, that is true. Final, so. final question before we talk serious. Do people actually use uh, Facebook as a verb? Apparently they do. Um, I've heard it before. Uh, so, you know, I've heard it before. Well, Are right you going to Facebook me? Uh, I don't have a Facebook account because I, I don't know, it just, it just, it just seems so hard. It, I, it kind of fills me with apprehension because we've had all of these weird stories about, there was a story about six months ago where if you bought something at a Facebook partner site, and I think it was like eBay, Amazon, Zappos, 
any of those sites, you bought like a pair of shoes or a book or something, there was like, you know, there's a little ticker that goes out about you that it updates everybody. And it would say something like, you know, Julie Walker just got a, bought a copy of The Handmaid's Tale, which, you know, maybe you're fine with, but maybe you don't necessarily want people knowing every time you buy a, uh, you know, like a studded paddle or something. So it, it seems like the sort of information that one might wish to keep private. I, I can be apprehensive about things uh, such as that every now and again, just because... You know, it does, uh, in America, in our fading republic, Julie, it does sometimes seem as though privacy is a hard-to-come-by commodity. Yes, you are absolutely right about that. Um, speaking, of, well, this is a bad segue. I was going to say, speaking of commodities, but, so, where are we now? So, we, the, the Dow is, we're still down a net 400, but we're up, well, like 300 as compared to where we were yesterday, correct? Let me tell you, stocks have bounced back after yesterday's beating. That's a, Dow, a drop in the Dow of almost 778 points. Looking at the big board right now, the Dow is up 374 points. Um, that's uh, a gain of 3.7%. The NASDAQ is up 4.3%. The S&P is up 4.4%. Um, so we're up all around. European markets ended up today um, because uh, U.S. markets were up. So that's some good news right there. Um, the bad news is that credit markets have still seized up. So uh, those looking, you know, the the rates that banks are getting for lending to each other are extremely high. Um, the the uh, small businesses and big businesses are, have been saying that they're fi- finding it a little bit harder to get those short-term loans that they rely on, you know, to meet payroll and mm-hmm. to do all of those other things to, uh, you know, to get their to buy their initial products uh, that are going out. Here's a phrase that I don't particularly like to read. It says here, frozen markets mean banks are, I'm quoting now for the CNN prep sheet, banks are, quote, hoarding cash, making it difficult for businesses and individuals to get much-needed loans. It's one thing if, like, your Depression-era grandmother decides to hoard cash and sardines and toilet paper in the attic or something. When banks begin hoarding cash, I mean, I guess you can make the point that if they've been hoarding cash this whole time, we might not be in this bind but it doesn't seem like simultaneously everybody can need a cash infusion while the banks are then hoarding all of their cash. It just seems like it. there's a whole bunch of gears that are in, uh, you know, intermeshed to such a degree that they can't even turn right down. Somebody's got I mean, to sort of give in and sort of cut loose some money, right? Well, this is what the doomsday sayers have been actually talking about this whole time, that banks are nervous. You know, they lost a lot of money on these um, bad mortgages, so they're nervous about lending money. So that's where the whole hoarding idea is coming in to play. And, um, you know, people might be surprised to find out how many businesses rely on these short-term loans to do everything, as I said, from meet payroll to, you know, get, get their supplies. Um, yes, something obviously, you know, has to be done. In fact, the president, President Bush, was talking about it this morning um, and directly mentioned, you know, how Wall Street reacted yesterday. Um, actually, let's, let's take a minute to listen to what the president had to say. We're in an urgent situation, and the consequences will grow worse each day if we do not act. The dramatic drop in the stock market that we saw yesterday will have a direct impact on the retirement accounts, pension funds, and personal savings of millions of our citizens. And if our nation continues on this course, the economic damage will be painful and lasting. But if I may put forward a slice of personal observation here upon which you don't need to comment, because uh, I don't wish to make it feel awkward, uh, let me just say this about that. For a guy who's talking about dire consequences and doomsday scenarios and the possible implosion of the American way of life, 
he could not possibly sound less concerned about the whole thing. So maybe they ought to hire a stunt president to go out and uh, give his speeches for the rest of his term. Somebody who can at least pretend like they're sort of they're unnerved by the whole thing. I, uh, it's just, especially right now, because it's so hard for people to, to figure out what's going on, right? The subtleties of this kind of elude the average American. Would you agree? Absolutely. The subtleties do elude the average American, and that's why I gave you the, the business scenario of making it, finding businesses finding it hard to borrow now. Um, you know, the president also spoke about how he was disappointed, but it's not the end of the legislative process and that Congress uh, must act. Um, so that's the thing. Um, you know, people, but I think as it trickles down, people will understand more how this does affect them. I mean, at, uh, there there is a point at which people think it's, it's you know, the big, the big guy versus the little guy, and, you know, the big guys are making out while the little guys are still losing their homes yeah. because they can't pay their mortgages or they're losing their jobs. Um, so they already know what real economic hardship is. It seems that now everybody's going to know it. All right. Julie Walker from CNN, a pleasure to speak with you. Before we go, Julie Walker, what is your favorite Madonna song? Oh, goodness. I don't know if I want to reveal that. Yes, you do. <laughs> you absolutely do. You're not um, going to hesitate for even a moment. You've been waiting your whole life to reveal it. Um, you pick one for me. Oh, now, Julie, that's, uh, I wouldn't presume to pick uh, another person's Madonna song. That's a private decision between one and oneself only. You know, I hate when you throw in these <laughs> trick questions. To me. I'll let you ponder it. We will undoubtedly speak again. Julie Walker, you have a good day. Okay, thank you. There you go. Julie Walker from CNN. All right. Well, she seemed amused, if somewhat tentative, about the whole mm -hmm. thing. Yeah, you came out kind of like a fireball. It's was like, calm down. What'd I do? You know what? Like, I'm an 8.5. Like, yeah. oh, my God, he's going to scare her away. I was inspired by our conversation about Baz Luhrmann's Moulin Rouge yesterday, where in the opening moments of any movie, one must establish a contract with the audience, Sarah, letting them know exactly what they're in for. Julie Walker, establishing the contract. Yes, she knew she was in for a whole lot of crazy. Yes, yes, she was. All right, it's 503-733-2970. Just a moment, we'll talk to senior radio correspondent uh, Bob Costantini, Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. Later on, Nina Parker from TMZ uh, about that Heath Ledger news. Uh, that broke yesterday. Uh, what else? Cannibal Watch coming out today. Penis Watch. Double Geek Watch. Uh, our inaugural edition of the greatest songs ever made. Lisa Wood's top five teenage lovelorn moping songs. Uh, and more. This, however, from the hill. CNN radio correspondent. Explainer of all things. Knower of all facts. Haver of all stuff. I kind of fell apart at the end. Bob Costantini. Hello, sir. Just fine, Rick. How are you? I'm doing fine, Rick. How are you? <laughs> How are you today, Bob? You seem ever so slightly off kilter. Slightly off kilter, yes. All right. Is that the... Uh... I just was able to sit down in the uh, in the big chair here. Uh, wait, are you speaking figuratively, or is there really a big chair they it's give a big, you? It's actually a relatively big chair, yes. <laughs> wait, let me understand. Is this like that little silver square on the floor of the stage of The Tonight Show that only Carson was allowed to stand on? Is it like a big chair, but the only people who can use it are people who are anchoring this day? No, we have three of them. <laughs> They're big chairs. They're good-sized chairs, though. They're very comfortable. So, all right. I, I don't really know where we're going with this, so I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna move on. Uh, so, uh, okay, we were just talking to Julie Walker about sort of the the, the financial aspect of yes. this whole vote down that happened yesterday, and just to sort of recap something that I an observation that I made, and, and I and I think Dick Giuliano said that it was more or less on the mark, or at least perceived to be. But it seems like yesterday. He, correct me if I'm wrong. And again, I I don't know a, I don't know a whole lot about economics. Uh, that's why I married somebody smarter than myself. 
But it, it does seem like there is, for whatever reason, this huge hemorrhaging of cash and lack of confidence in the markets and all of this. And the government has basically said, look, we're going to need like you know, $700 billion approximately and probably a couple hundred billion of it like now to make this problem not go away but to start to resolve this problem. However, the, the hitch and the giddy-up, as they say, is that the whole bunch of people in Congress who feel vulnerable, uh, yeah. you know, when it comes to re-election, and they care more about it, which is, and I understand this, it's a perfectly American thing, they care more about keeping their own job than about backing up the president or the party uh, or, in fact, Wall Street, right? Well, that's for sure. Uh, there are there are numerous uh, reports of uh, members of Congress, particularly members of the House, who are getting phone calls from constituents running, you know, 80 percent against this bailout. Um, the expectation uh, was, and it's hard to say because the House is out today, but the expectation was that yesterday's tanking of the uh, stock market uh, might bring uh, some of the constituency around to the idea that something has to be done. Uh, we'll find out uh, within the next few days. Uh, today, the Senate is in. Uh, the House is out today and tomorrow because of Rosh Hashanah. Um, but the um, you know the Senate is doing some work, and we're hearing uh, you know members are using it as their sounding board, their way of expressing their particular complaint or concern about this bailout package. And when you call it a bailout, that's the one thing that it seems like a lot of Americans don't necessarily want to hear. Well, because, well, because actually to tie it into an analogy I made earlier, I see that John McCain is trying to, he's doing what both parties uh, attempt to do. The Republicans are always more skilled at this thing of changing the language. McCain has tried to start referring to it as a rescue. They're trying to move people off of the word bailout and onto the word rescue, Yeah. which apparently make, which makes it seem like it's a building full of burning kittens or something. And you like gotta, you know, the, Dennis Leary's got to run in and take everybody out on his shoulders or whatnot. Uh, you know, when you say bailout, though, it does remind me of, the, of, of bailing someone out. And I was making the, the point earlier, this is just my own personal observation, of course, that, you know, if you've got some dirtbag kid that's constantly, you know, dealing weed and getting sent to the county lockup, yeah. eventually you just got to tell him, like, look, like, you made your bed, and it's going to suck for the family, and it's going to suck for, you know, who, you know, uh, all the people around you. But if we keep bailing you out of jail, you're just going to keep dealing more weed and going back because you know we're going to bail you out again. Like, why don't you sit there for a while and think about what you've done, son? Yeah. And I feel like that is where the American people are coming down uh, on this bailout. That seems to be the perception of the American public. Yeah, the idea also uh, has not hit home that uh, the average person uh, with, you know, retirement accounts and the 401ks, et cetera, uh, is going to be, you know, to use your metaphor, uh, you know, is going to have to do some jail time as well. Right. <laughs> uh, with this, it's uh, it's going to affect. That's not hit home, I don't think necessarily, uh, with people, and maybe you know the average citizen doesn't necessarily care. I, you know, again, the by and large, everybody who's at least talking about the calls that they're getting are saying that uh, you know <laughs> the calls are running extremely heavily against this pack. Let me ask you, here's a question. Just from, your, from your vantage point as a political observer, let me ask you this. What happens, just theoretically speaking, what happens if this continues to be the case? In other words, what happens if 80% of the public just dig in their heels and they say, no, no, absolutely not, we are not giving you any money, to hell with that, figure out something else, we're not doing it. Is a, is the government going to, I mean, because everybody's so afraid for their jobs, will they listen to the 80% or at some point will they have to just disregard 
what 80% of the people think. And if they don't, if they do listen to this loud, vocal 80% that doesn't want the bailout, um, I, I, I mean, is it just, is it, it, does that mean that then we will not have a fix? Well, uh, obviously, um, yesterday's House vote was relatively close, okay, uh, even though the, uh, the plan went down. Um, I think that if a number of people uh, can be swayed a bit by maybe a change or two here and there in the legislation, I mean, they can, they can not start from scratch, but they can rework things to the point where it might uh, assuage the concerns of some of these uh, few members, and particularly Republicans, who voted against the package yesterday. Um, you know, then, then we'll probably get a very close approval in the House. Right. And that's what House leaders are certainly hoping will happen. That's what the White House is hoping. The Senate, uh, by and large, is just waiting to see what the House does because they're not going to stick their necks out, uh, <laughs> uh, it seems. You know, it just until, staggers uh, my imagination that this government doesn't work properly. That's uh, yeah. It's astonishing that we can't seem to get anything done. By the way, just before we go, sure. I, I'm... All of the discord, all of the disagreement, all the chaos and strife, it, all the disharmony, it's almost worth it just for the opportunity once a day to see Barney Frank get on television just to, in, in gibber like some sort of a political turtle about how he's going to... He looks like Touche Turtle when he talks, you know, where he has that... He has that sort of oddly shaped mouth and, you know, where he's doing that sort of... He kind of yeah. is like a really angry sort of uh, more delicate Rudy Giuliani when he... And I will go over to the houses, and I will tell them that they have to do it now. And it's just that almost makes the whole thing worthwhile. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that one kind of alone, but I'm old enough yes. to remember Touche Turtle. There you go. Uh, what was his sidekick's name for the win? <laughs> oh, um, Touche Turtle sidekick was a Touché dog Turtle, named. Uh, I can't remember. Dum Dum. Dum Dum Dum. <laughs> All right. All right. I'm going to leave it there, Bob Costantini. As always, a pleasure. You're wise beyond your years, That's, actually, Rick. That's what I do. Thank you, Bob. Take care. Right. CNN Radio Correspondent, Bob Costantini. There you go. Fantastic. Yep. How is everybody? Fantastic. It's Sarah? It's exciting week. 8.4. 8 point, really? Are you actually? Now, wait. An 8.4 is... I thought that was what you said that you were 8.4. No, uh, fabulous. All right. All right. I think we're going to have a fantastic rest of the show. It's been a wonderful first hour. The next three going to be even better. I can sense it. I can feel it in the air. Yes. going to be a great day. Not so much for anybody else or for the country, but for us. And that's what matters. It's 503-733-2970. We will return around the corner with Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth uh, later on. Lisa Wood will do her uh, top five teenage lovelorn moping songs. Uh, we'll have a penis watch, geek watch, Jim Roop, Nina Parker from TMZ, our latest birth of a salesman semifinalist, and the inaugural edition of the greatest songs ever made. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. You want a shot, so I will take aim. Don't even ask me if I know your name. This business. Give me those digits. That's kind of what it felt like. I contemplated giving him a fake number, but I'm like, crap, I'm messing this guy every day. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program, lovingly assembled in the United States by robots. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Coming up later on the day, Nina Parker from TMZ. Uh, let's see, what else do we have coming up today? Penis Watch, Geek Watch. 
the inaugural edition of the greatest songs ever made. Top five with Lisa Wood. Uh, don't forget, one random on-air caller today wins some crap. Wins, what is it? Valuable prizes. Step right up and win some crap. Uh, uh, they're going to be uh, winning, uh, let's see, Superheroes DVDs, Filmation. Blah, blah. I didn't know if it was Sports Night or Filmation uh, DVDs today. It is uh, DC Superheroes Adventures from Filmation on DVD. Uh, see all your favorite superheroes in 18 different action-packed classic cartoons on this two-disc Filmation collector set. That's to one random on-air caller today. Don't forget, tickets still on sale for Mythbusters, by the way. I will be moderating uh, that discussion this coming Sunday. Uh, it's not sold out? It is not. It's going fast, but there are still tickets available uh, and uh, so forth. Ladies and gentlemen, please give your attention to the man behind the curtain. It's time for the Rick Emerson Show's new news hour, only on AM 970, The Talker. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. So we'll return to our national calamity in just a few moments. There are some local things, though. Two people are dead, a third seriously injured in a shooting in Woodburn overnight. They got a 911 call about shots being fired in the 500 block of Hall around 11 o'clock. They found a car with a shattered side window and a body inside. He couldn't be saved. Two other men also had bullet wounds. One of them was flown to OHSU. The other died. The third was driven by ambulance to OHSU and he is in stable condition. This car was parked next to a drug house. They believe the shooting happened in front of the house. They never made it inside, so no drugs involved. Apparently. Wait, hold on. So were these so these guys were parked in a car outside a drug house? Outside a drug were house. Were they innocent bystanders? They don't know yet. All right, but they were just some folks parked near a drug house. They didn't park in front of a drug house. Shots are fired. Mm-hmm. They, one guy's dead. Yeah. Other guy in critical condition or serious condition. Yes. Right. Two people are, are dead. Where part of town was this? Why? Woodburn. As though I didn't know. Oh, Woodburn. No, okay. Your neighborhood. Oh, sorry. Well, there no. was something in your neighborhood, but it wasn't a shooting. No. Probably a knifing of some kind. No. Maybe a garroting. No. All right. So in your neighborhood, place to look for the driver to bicyclist uh, early this morning and then took off. But he, he really shouldn't have been riding around there at 2.30 in the morning. But okay, maybe he's riding home from work, for all we know. The cyclist is 25-year-old Brendan Michael Cox, riding south at Southeast 39th and Powell, but a large truck heading in the same direction hit his bike from behind near the intersection at Southeast Powell Boulevard. Those who saw the victim after the collision said the cyclist was pretty banged up. He was taken to OHSU. Uh, where he was treated for non-life-threatening injuries. Okay, non-life-threatening That right. name sounds familiar. But he wasn't wearing a helmet, which Th- didn't help. Is that somebody we know, Sarah? I don't know. That does sound familiar, though. Maybe, Maybe not. I mean, Cox. Yeah, I mean, I know, I know. I will tell you, I know like nine Brendans, and I know a bunch of guys with the last name of Cox, so maybe not. Uh, but non-life-threatening injuries. Not wearing a helmet? Not wearing a helmet. No. It can't be that way. So the suspect is driving a dark-colored, newer Ford F-250 pickup. Yeah, you know, you, kids, your brain's the best friend you have. You wrap that thing. All right, here's Tim Riley. Well, a postal man was delivering more than mail. The news, uh, the the uh, mail carrier has been sentenced 18 months in the federal prison for selling Mary Jane on his mail route. Prosecutors say 48-year-old Ronald Burkham of Vernonia pled guilty to distribu- uh, distribution of marijuana to a person under 21. They arrested the mailman after Link Oswego police arrested a 9-year-old who claimed he was buying marijuana from uh, this uh, mailman. A 9-year-old was buying marijuana? Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Since he was in high school. I'm going to say, that's a pretty ambitious nine-year-old in this sort of horrible way. No, I, I think they're out there, though. As part of the plea bargain, he resigned from the U.S. Postal Service after 15 years of service. A U.S. attorney, the chief prosecutor for Oregon, said he violated the public trust. Please tell me he still gets a pension. Doesn't say. All right. But he resigned. He resigned. After 15 years. So do you still get a pension after 15 years? I don't really I guess know. that's a question here. By the way, we don't wish to tar all postal workers with the same brush. Many, many, many postal workers are listeners to this very fine radio program. And Mine does not sell marijuana. Uh, you've, you've tried. 
<laughs> he only sells heroin and Whitman samplers. It's the darndest thing. You know what I want to do? Uh, one of the, I, I really, it's one of those things you only see in the movies. Mm-hmm. Just once in my life, I want to, forgive me for how this sounds perverse until I get halfway through it. I want to encounter a guy in a dark alley, pause, who has the trench coat that he opens and there's all the watches hanging inside. Like all the, the big, the big, the, the, like the big tassel of Rolex watches. I mean, that's really what I want. Because that's the thing you always see in the movies, right? We go, hey, uh, I know a guy, he can get us some, uh, you know, he can get us a gun or he can get us, you know, whatever it is you're looking for. You can get us some jewels. Or someone to slip you a Mickey. Totally. Something for a, something for your dame. And then you meet some guy in a dark alley. He has the big trench coat on. He opens it, and then there's just all this finery hanging within. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of what I want to see just once in my life. And then I feel like I can be sort of checked off. It's a powerful image. All right, here's Tim Riley. When I took the Seattle Underground tour, they took you through all kinds of dark alleys. Really? That look, they were just regular dark alleys, not like they always had been. You know, I was watching West Side Story this weekend, and... Um, it, not to get sidetracked on West Side Story, because I can, I can just talk about that forever. But I was wondering, you know, because that was filmed on location in New York City for the most part. Uh, a little bit of stage work, but you can tell that most of it was, was shot on location. And the, the question that nobody really knew, boy, can, first of all, can I tell you, speaking of, this is a confluence of the last story and then West Side Story. Speaking of mailmen, mailman Chris knows more about West Side Story than anybody I have ever met. I mean, that you would never really expect. He's, like, covered in Star Wars tattoos, and, he, you know, he's always just come from playing rock band. It looks like he's about to go punch somebody, and it's all pierced up and angry-looking. And uh, he, That guy is like a walking dictionary of West Side Story information. I mean, it's, this is all very strange. So we're watching West Side Story. The thing that nobody knew, though, is how much set decoration or dressing they had to do. Because there's lots of sequences in that movie where New York just looks so decayed and run down but strangely beautiful. There's this whole segment of West Side Story where they're going, the jets are going through a back alley. And I think they're getting from, like, the candy store to a rumble or from the rumble to the candy store to someplace to another. And they go through this sort of not even really a vacant lot but it's like a like a lot filled with rubble maybe like where a building once was and was demolished a long time ago but then there's all of this rubble chain link fencing urban decay in the background and then along the back of the shot though is just a whole series of brightly colored doors that are freestanding they don't go anywhere they're just doors that are laid end to end standing up in the middle of this vacant lot and it's like this amazingly artistic touch and i can't imagine that the set just looked like that but I gotta. That's one of those movies that I would actually do a tour. I would do a West Side Story tour of New York City. Yeah, I mean, it just it paints such a great picture uh, of that town. Uh, Richie Bristol has let us know that today we will be talking to um, Dr. Charles Grant, instructor of economics at PSU. He has a PhD uh, in economics from the University of London, London School of Economics. He has an MA in economics, uh, BA in economics from Stanford as well. Wow, be incredible. Well, he's going to hold us in just the deepest contempt. I think it's a phoner today. One o'clock, we'll be talking to him. Fantastic. No, he's going to lose respect for me like three sentences in. I'm going to say like, hey, what's up? And he's just going to think, oh, No, you can bluff. He knows nothing about you. That's true. I should pretend to be really shrewd. I should pretend to, I should pretend to have some, I should find some controversial financial position and then dig up enough crap that I can sort of bluff my way through a full-throated defense of it. Yes. <laughs> If people don't know you, you might as well put on airs. No, Dr. Grant, I insist that we pursue the Keynesian solution. And then scream at him and hang it up. Here's uh, Tim Riley. That's the way to do it. Yep. You know, somehow I missed the story over the weekend, and I want to get back to it because it's quite entertaining, really. 
Three transients have been arrested on robbery charges after they attacked a man who asked a woman in the group to stop exposing her breasts in front of children. Clackamas County Detective Jim Stovink said detectives arrested two men and a woman on robbery charges about 1.30 Saturday in the 8100 block of Southeast Luthor Road. Raymond Gagaskis told deputies he saw a group of four transients near his home and one of the two women in the group was deliberately exposing her breasts while his children were playing outside his house. <laughs> so the guy tells deputies that when he told the woman to cover up those girls, she and another woman grabbed his arms, and one of the men says, he's got money, let's get him. Despite the efforts of the group to take his wallet, the man managed to fight them off, and they weren't able to get his money. So he calls 911, and Clackamas County Sheriff's deputies respond, arresting three of the four attackers. Florence Ray... We have no idea if this is the breast woman. She she's the only sexy. woman in the group. She's 50. Of course she is. Lawrence Ray, 50. Stephen Purcell, 43. And Michael Yaha, 41, are charged with yeah. robbery. Deputies are still looking for the fourth member of the group who's described as a white woman with a heavy build. Could this be the breast woman? Brown hair and wearing a blue summer top with spaghetti straps. Yep, this is, the, <laughs> this, is the woman who, this is the woman who showed them off, I bet. Florey, come show your nana to the little one. So she's heavy set, brown hair. She has a blue summer top with spaghetti straps. Just say it, Tim. She's built like an ox. Now she is. Well, a lot of these people like women like this. Uh, so you can call the anonymous at Clackamas County Sheriff's Office tip line. What people? If you see this woman exposing her breast to children again, she's got to be stopped. Okay. I like it. Behold, how, by the way, how the homeless mind works. It first, like, first thought in the flowchart, stand around. Second thought, show your bosoms to young children. Third thought, notice guy standing over there. Don't do anything about it. Fourth thought, be irritated that he asked the bosom showing to stop, then decide that maybe you should take his money. Fifth step, question mark, and then, you know, profit. Uh, apparently, we are giving a shout-out to a uh, listener, Woodburn Police Officer Zach. Officer Zach, uh, who is uh, he's on the job, as they say, in Woodburn. Greetings, Officer Zach, and uh, may you have a safe and uh, uneventful day. Here's Tim Riley. So a driver takes off of the car after a cocaine stop in the Hillsboro. Police and a canine dog searched a Hillsboro neighborhood last night after a driver took off in a car following a traffic stop at Northeast Lincoln Street and Cornell Road. They're looking for Ishmael Sierra Carranza. He uh, remains on the loose. The county sheriff's deputy pulled over his uh, Maxima a little after 7.30. Returning without using a signal shortly after that, the guy just took off. Police found over a half pound of cocaine in his car. He's about uh, 5'6", 160 pounds, black hair, dark eyes, wearing a blue and white shirt, uh, long shorts, and tennis shoes. This is why late at night you want to, I don't care whether you are as clean as the driven snow, at late at night, I would say probably any time after 11 p.m., and especially after closing time, you drive at the speed limit or slightly under the speed limit, you use turn signals, you come to a complete stop. Because, not that you've done anything wrong. But that's the hour when cops, no offense to Officer Zach, that's when cops are looking to pull people over because it's an easy way to get people pulled over to the side of the road when you know that X percent of the driving population is going to be drunk or stealing, you know, stealing cocaine and, you know, trafficking it along. So uh, just drive carefully late at night. That would be uh, that would be my suggestion. The canine dog that lives in my neighborhood. Does he? That they use, yeah. We're glad to have police officers in my neighborhood. Nobody dares to do anything wrong. Yes. They dare to do many, many things wrong in my neighborhood, Tim. Your time will come when the economic downturn worsens. I know. That canine won't save you then, Mr. Uh, Mr. To, suburban I Man. I do my own gardening. <laughs> <laughs> um, this email says, in a long line of questions, that is hell on earth, isn't it, Tim? Et tu, Tim Riley? Et tu? 
In a long line of questions that will never be answered, Rick, please to be explaining what Filmation is. Filmation is a company. Uh, Filmation was a uh, an animation um, firm, not unlike Hanna-Barbera, that cranked out, I'm not going to say low budget, but sort of rudimentary superhero adventures that... Like some of those, uh, they, were, they were a little budget, but good enough for kids on a Saturday morning. But but it, because of that, and again, I'm not trying to I'm not trying to damage. We're giving it away. It is a very cool prize. But because they were done sort of assembly line style, and it was they were sort of just cranked out like so much animated sausage. They do have a very sort of wonderful period feel to them. They are a very good summation of a particular time and a particular style American animation. It is nothing quite like uh, nothing quite looks like that old filmation stuff. Just like nothing quite looks like the Fleischer uh, a- animation. That's the gold standard. Yeah, it really is. All right, here's uh, Tim Riley. The Everett Pimp is going to prison. This Everett Pimp gets 26 years in the Who's and he has to pay seventy thousand dollars to three women. He was convicted of using them as well prostitutes. A 29-year-old whose name is Jerome Todd forced three women into prostitution as part of an internet sex ring. And he used Craigslist to set up meetings with his clients. Court records say uh, Todd told one witness he was doing so to avoid paying child support on his 13 children, so he became a pimp. <laughs> the former pimp will now have to register as a former pimp after his release. And I would love to have to register as a former pimp. Former pimp. I mean, I guess you don't want to be a former pimp. I guess registering as a current pimp would be better. Mm-hmm. He should offer to do some... Bless you. He should offer to pay a larger fine or to do some kind of community service, but in exchange, he gets to register as a current pimp. He's going to be on probation for five years. All right. So let's talk about this. Sarah Palin, as we speak, well, it could be her lunch hour, but she's spending the next couple of days in Republican boot camp, cramming for this week's vice presidential debate, which we'll have on live here on the radio on AM 970 Thursday night. There's a main mounting concern over whether she is ready for the White House, and there are calls for her to quit the ticket. We all know all about her now. And I don't know if everybody saw this, but we're going to play a part of this now. John McCain decided to accompany Sarah Palin as her uh, older dad. Which really is like dad going along on daughter's first date or something, because you don't want the uh, you don't want the football player to start getting his grope on or something. And so dad just sits there with a stern look on his face and a gun in his pocket the whole time. So this time, once again, she's interviewed by Kitty Couric, but not alone. So uh, John McCain is here, and he's uh, blaming most of her bad publicity on the media. So here is uh, John McCain coming to defend uh, Sarah Palin in part of this interview. If my pot is up, we're ready to go. Of course not, but look, I understand this day and age, gotcha journalism. Is that a pizza place? In a conversation with someone What who does that mean? You didn't hear, hear the question very well. You don't know the context of the conversation. Grab a phrase. Governor Palin and I agree that you don't announce that you're going to attack another country. Are you sorry you said it, Governor? uh, Wait a minute. Before you say, is she sorry she said it? Okay, so here's the answer for her. So he's not letting her speak? Well, she speaks when spoken to, Sarah, and sometimes not even She's sitting there smiling admirably. She's looking at the floor and thinking about making babies. Mm was a gotcha soundbite that, well, she was It wasn't a, a gotcha, she was talking to no, a voter. A conversation mm-hmm. yeah. with a group of people he and talking back and forth. And I, I, I'll still let can't speak. Uh, well, Governor Palin in, speak for herself. In fact, you're absolutely right on. In the context, this was a, a voter, a constituent, hollering out a question from across. 
an area asking, what are you going to do about Pakistan? You better have an answer to Pakistan. I said, we're going to do what we have to do to protect the United States of America. Well, you were pretty specific about what you wanted to do. Well, as Senator McCain is suggesting here also, never would our administration get out there and show our cards to uh, terrorists, in this case to enemies, and let them know what the game plan was, not when that could ultimately adversely affect a plan to keep America secure. What did you learn from that experience? That this is all about gotcha journalism. A lot of it is, but that's okay, too. Governor Palin, since our last interview, you've gotten a lot of flack. Some Republicans have said you're not prepared, you're not ready for prime time. People have questioned your readiness since that interview, and I'm curious to hear your reaction. Well, not only am I ready, but willing and able to serve as vice president with Senator McCain if Americans so bless us and privilege us with the opportunity of serving them. Ready with my executive experience as a city mayor and manager, as a governor, as a commissioner, a regulator of oil and gas. This is not the first time that I've seen a governor being questioned by some, uh, <laughs> quote, expert. Uh, is that a slap at Katie Couric so. right there? Mm -hmm. Wow. Governor of a very small state that uh, had no experience either. I'm I'm so torn. I don't even know who to be rooting for here. I was going to be for Bush one to defeat him. <laughs> I still recall. Uh, whoops, uh, that one. But the point is, uh, uh, I've seen uh, underestimation before. So all right, she's being protected. I'm a hockey mom from Alaska. There you go. Uh, so, it, you know, here's the thing about it. No, don't get me wrong. We work for CBS. Katie Couric works for... We're colleagues. Uh, you know, we're just... We're really just this side of going to cocktail parties together. That being said, did you find a little, a little frustrating that Katie Couric didn't... Here's why people, I think... How do I put this? I support CBS and all of CBS's programming. I will say this. I do believe that sometimes Americans grow uh, ever so slightly frustrated with certain factions of the news media because... People who are doing these interviews don't ever ask you know, what everybody at home sort of wants them to ask. So when she asks Sarah Palin a question and John McCain answers, everybody, and I think I can say this without reservation, everybody at home was saying, like, let her answer. Ask. I, I wanted her to ask Sarah Palin or, frankly, to ask John McCain, like, can't she answer for herself? Katie Couric's follow-up question, I say, dictating policy to Katie Couric, who makes like 500 billion times more than I do, I think Katie Couric's follow-up should have been, can't you let her speak for herself? You know, why do you feel the need to answer questions for her? Uh, and she and so she didn't really do that. And so John McCain. Katie needs someone to speak for her too. I think sometimes <laughs> she really does. Um, How about if she got Andy Rooney? That's a oh man. What would you give to see Andy Rooney interview Sarah Palin? That'd be great. Or any of the candidates. Mm -hmm. What would you give to see Andy Rooney interviewing Barack Obama? Even oh. more. Oh, to be so deeply uncomfortable and satisfying in just every perverse way. Uh, anyway, so Sarah Palin, you was that joke about the last, the, the interview where she needed a lifeline. And so she actually had the lifeline here, which is John McCain, just kind of sitting there. But I don't know, man. I don't know. I got such mixed feelings about this debate coming up on Thursday. Because the thing about the debate is, like, if they don't push her any harder on Thursday than they did in that interview, she'll do fine. I mean, she really will. She'll probably bury Joe Biden if they don't push her any harder to be specific than they did here. Because here, they, she just kind of goes back, like a lot of politicians, she just goes back to the same talking points over and over and over and over again, which is sort of effective, especially if you're talking to somebody who's maybe not all that bright to begin with. So and most Americans aren't. That's what I'm saying. So if they, who's moderating Thursday's debate, do you know? Oh, I don't know. I'll, I'll I thought it was Bob Schieffer, but I might be wrong about that. Uh, so if they really lean on her on Thursday, she might start squealing like a pig in hot oil. But if they don't, if they just kind of let her 
answer the question she wished she had been asked instead of the question she was asked, then I think she's probably going to do very well, and that'll be big trouble for uh, Obama and Biden. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello, how are you today? Hey, pretty good. How are you doing, Rick? What can I do for you, sir? Um, well, you were talking about uh, driving carefully at night and everything. Yes. I heard a statistic the other day that apparently from 10 p.m. till 7 a.m. every night of the week, one in five drivers are impaired in some fashion. That wouldn't surprise me. I, yeah. I it seems like it's probably even higher than that, which is why the cops do, and you can understand sort of why they do it. It's why cops do that thing of just having, hey, why are you pulling me over? Well, it looks like one of your taillights is ever so slightly dull. Uh, you know, look, you've got you've got a parking light that's you know 5% dimmer than the other one. We're just going to have to pull you over. And nobody's happy about that, but you know why cops do that, because it's a numbers game, right? Because probably yeah, one in five guys that you pop after 2 p.m. is probably going to be lit to some degree or another, and... And one out of every 50 is apparently 30 pounds of cocaine in his trunk. So, you know, what can you do? So drive carefully, my friend. What kind of bothers me about that thing is you hear uh, stories about cops, like nailing some huge drug bust or whatever, and they give all the cops or give the cops this credit for being incredible investigators or whatever. And they just nailed some guy because he swerved a little bit and happened to have 30 pounds of cocaine. As somebody once said, no amount of police work or investigative ability can equal the... It can equal the benefit given to you by the guy you're looking for being mind-bogglingly stupid. Absolutely. All right. Thank you, sir. Thank you. All right, there you go. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. So the moderator for the debate Thursday will be Gwen Ifill. I have no idea who that Gwen is. Gwen Ifill, the second like NPR woman. Senior correspondent, the News Hour, and moderator and managing editor of Washington Week on PBS. No idea. Why? All right. Uh, <laughs> I don't know the answer to that, Tim. That does well. Okay. Well, whatever. Uh, I mean, then, then the uh, next one after that will be Tom Brokaw, and then the last one, Bob Schieffer. I thought Tom Brokaw retired. They won't let him. <laughs> he's just, he's they keep to... sending the bus to pick him up every day and bring him back to NBC. Do you suppose he's just delirious enough that he doesn't quite realize he's retired? Mm -hmm. oh, I was going to be at home. No, 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 Tom. No, you're back on the air. Here, sit quietly. Play with this paddleball game. Uh, all right. Let me know. Right. 503-733-2970. Here's Tim Riley. It's snowing on Mars. NASA's Phoenix moon lander has found the snow falling on Mars. It's collecting data on how the atmosphere and surface interact on Mars, and they detected snow from clouds. The uh, date the snow vaporized before reaching the ground has not yet been found. Now, wait a minute. Has it just started snow? Like, in other words, is this the first time it's ever snowed? Well, it's the first time anybody's seen it snow. So, wait, so we didn't know there was snow. So it's been snowing this whole time on Mars, and we never noticed it? We don't know how many times it's snowed, though. Because this is the first time it's been detected. All right, because there's that whole debate about is there water on Mars? Are there canals on Mars? Is there ice on Mars? And so now we've gone from, in the space of like three weeks, we've gone from not knowing if there's any moisture at all to let's all have a toboggan ride because it's snowing. That'd be great. I don't understand how anything works. Science so maybe Richard Branson could build like a resort there and a spaceship <laughs> to take people there? Science is so totally and completely perplexing to me sometimes. All right, I still, can I just tell you this? And maybe people should call about this. Maybe they shouldn't. I don't really know. I have no, I have no real decision about this in my own head. I don't even know if there are actually canals on Mars. Remember, there's a whole thing about these appear to be canals where water once flowed, but then later they said they weren't really canals on Mars. But then I heard later that there were because they found all this ice. To this day, I don't know if there's canals on Mars or not. It's one of those things. Maybe we're not meant to know. Here's Tim Riley. Barry Manilow not only writes the songs, he also donates to encourage local students to learn more about music. He's best known for his hits, the Copacabana and Mandy. 
He donated over uh, $500,000 in musical instruments yesterday to middle and high school students in the Coachella Valley to benefit its music programs. This is Palm Springs. Each school will receive uh, $15,000 to $18,000 worth of instruments, music, and music stands. The singer visited Palm Springs High School to announce the donations that were made through the Barry Manilow Music Project that helps revitalize all music programs in schools. Good for you. Well done, Barry. Getting mugged may have saved a Chicago woman's life. Kelly McQueenie was hit in the head and shot in the leg during a robbery. Afterwards, emergency doctors found a spot in her pelvis during a CAT scan, which turned out to be cancer. The 39-year-old tells the Chicago Sun-Times uh, she's beginning uh, chemotherapy today. So they wouldn't have found it if she wasn't shot. I don't want to have cancer in my pelvis. Hey, I have a question. Mm-hmm. This is a note I made to myself yesterday. So you know you always see, and this is because I was at a, Lauren and I were at a furniture store, and uh, we didn't buy it. We were looking for a lamp, uh, and we ended up not getting one, and blah, 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 blah. So we're wandering through the furniture store, mm-hmm. and you know, and you go from one section to another, and like, here's like the modern America stuff, and here's the sort of pop art stuff, and here's the kind of off-the-shelf stuff, and whatever. But then you go to the section where it's all sort of like, it's like exotic carving, and there's like a lot of animals, and you get things that have sort of like a, almost like a South American theme, or like an African theme, or yeah, something. Like you head with antlers. <laughs> totally. Well, this, I swear to God, this was in fact, it's like that thing in the Breakfast Club where he's talking about making that lamp that's like an elephant, and you pull the trunk. There was in fact a lamp, but it was like a giraffe, and it was kind of creepy, actually, because the deal is you would grab the giraffe's head and go, <clears throat> and pull the giraffe's head forward like it was a beer tap. You you really had to like break the giraffe's neck for a moment to turn on the lamp. It was kind of kind of disturbing, uh, truth be told. But anyway, so they had this whole thing set up where it was like the three monkeys, where it's like the see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil, right? Everybody knows that. Yes. So my question is, what is up with that? Where do those come from? I mean, right? We all like you see that everywhere. Like that's a that's a known image in American art or in American iconography. Mm-hmm. The three e- monkeys: see no evil, hear no hear no evil, speak no evil. Yeah, there's a radio station in town that uses that as their logo too. Is there? Yeah. Not one that matters, but there's one. <laughs> um. So, but where do they come from? Is my point. Like, where does that image come? Is that from a nursery rhyme? Is it from a fairy tale? Is it from an Aesop's fable? Hmm. Where do the three monkeys come from? I believe it's from ancient monkey history. But I'll look it up. I want to start referring to everything now as coming from, quote, ancient monkey history. And being, therefore, inscrutable, even to today's most trained minds. I'm going to start marketing you, by the way, as having a Ph.D. in ancient monkey history, Tim. Just, you know, like, going forward. Hello, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program, sir, madam, as the case may be. Speak now. I wanted to call Barry Manilow kind of the, can I say a four little, he's a, let's, let's just stop for a second. A penis. I was going to say <laughs> something else, but dude, why is he donating a whole bunch of money's worth of musical instruments to children in Palm Springs? Don't Palm Springs children need Palm, to explore the joys of music as well, sir? Palm Springs, if their rich parents wanted to buy him a guitar or a bass, I mean, to donate it to like, I don't know, me. I'm broke. Okay. I can't all right, I see what this is all about. My kid needs a guitar, not some punk kid in Palm Springs. That's I need to move to Palm up. Springs. What about downtown Portland children? Well, let me understand this. So the fact that you live here as opposed to living in Palm Springs is Barry Manilow's fault. No, I'm Sounds just like saying, this is a problem between gonna, you and your realtor, sir. No, all I'm saying is if you're going to donate a whole bunch of, like, say, musical equipment or anything, 
maybe donate it to the kids that are sitting there waiting at the Goodwill because their parents can't afford to buy them some. Donate, don't donate it to kids. Here, let me understand this. You're saying that this, Mercedes. you're saying this musical, uh, this musical donation by Mary Manilow is in fact the musical equivalent of the $700 billion bailout. Exactly. All I was right. just going to relate it to that. By the way, I will tell you, the reason he's donating musical instruments to Palm Springs is because all of Barry Manilow's fans, uh, the people who pay his rent, they all live in places like Palm Springs. Okay, I guess that would be the end. But still, I can't in a dollar to a guy in a Mercedes when I'm driving a Volkswagen. No, you, ha you have to move to some place that Barry Manilow cares about. Yes, sir. <laughs> that place well, is not well. here. Where do you live, sir? What part of Portland? Um, I live in the Couve. Yeah, let me tell you this. He's never mentioned the yeah. Couve in any song. He's never <laughs> sung about the Couve. He's not coming to the Couve. He okay. probably don't listen to Barry Manilow. Probably doesn't even know your city. Oh, say so now you're asking from a hand for a hand from a guy no, you don't, don't even listen don't, to. No, I don't want. I see. To you don't support Barry Manilow. Hold on, let's let's back up. You don't even support Barry Manilow, but somehow Barry Manilow is supposed to give you a handout. I don't want anything from Barry Manilow. I'm just saying that there's more important. I'm pretty sure important. that there was a caller like 90 seconds Dang ago it. whose name was you who said that your kid needed a handout from Barry Manilow. Now you're changing your story. Why are you flip-flopping on Barry Manilow, sir? Because I am a politician that is running for office. Right. You need to end this call. Have a good day. Thank you. All right, there you go. I like that sort of disproportionate, angry, you know, like uh, fights about things that just completely don't matter at all. Right. I do have uh, some ancient monkey history to pass along to you. Do you really? Mm -hmm. All right. Well, these monkeys probably came to Japan from a Tendai Buddhist legend, possibly from India via China in the 8th century, the Yamato period. In Chinese, a similar phrase exists in the Analects of Confucius. Look not at what is contrary to property. Listen not to what is contrary to property. Speak not what is contrary to propriety. Make no movement. Apparently, that's what these monkeys originally said. Like some, like some weird. Uh, Although the teaching has nothing to do with monkeys. It's like some simian desiderata. Mm -hmm. So apparently. They, Wait. So it has nothing to do with monkeys. So why is it depicted by three monkeys? Well, three monkeys covering their eyes, mouth, and ears with their hands are the most known symbols of the Koshin faith, an obsolete Japanese folk religion with Chinese Tangoism origins and ancient Shindu influence. I like the idea of an obsolete religion. That's where you get the postcard in the mail. You, in 90 days, support for this religion will no longer be honored. Right. Any so issues, they don't have Jesus. They have three monkeys. Any issues regarding this religion need to be resolved within the three-month period following receipt of this postcard. No further support will be offered for this religion. It's, just like, you, it's like you pray and you just get a busy signal. So... Well, this is like that Humpty Dumpty always being shown as an egg. It doesn't say... I don't think Humpty Dumpty comes from an ancient religion. No, but, well... Maybe he does. I, who knows? There might be some sort of Dumptyist faith here, especially in this stupid city. Uh, so, I mean, you've you got... I mean, really, there's people here who sit around in a circle and they worship small pieces of glass. So, I, it doesn't really seem so out of, the, out of the realm of possibility that in Portland there would be somebody worshiping a large egg. But my point is... That in you know Humpty Dumpty had was sat on a wall and had a great fall. Doesn't say anywhere there that he's an egg. There's no reason to show him as an egg, and yet they always do. Hmm. This bugs me. All right. Yeah, that's some revisionist history. That's what I'm saying. Let's do one more and then we'll break. The two people who hit Shia LaBeef's uh, pickup Shia LaBeef pickup truck causing injury to the actor now face charges. I'm completely going to be a porn star named Shia LaBeef. Charges have been filed against 22-year-old Herbert Simon and 21-year-old Kimberly Bent after allegedly giving false police information. According to police, Bent originally told police she was the one driving the car that ran a red light that struck the actress' pickup, causing it to flip. But they apparently believe that Simon was actually the one behind the wheel. 
Last week, prosecutors announced they would not charge Labeef with DUI due to insignificant evidence, but the 22-year-old actor may still have his license suspended for refusing to take a blood alcohol test. The ruling is expected within the next few weeks. Labeef's latest movie, Eagle Eye, opened at number one in the box office this past weekend. Wait, so I must have blinked and missed that. So what is Eagle Eye? Anyone? Anyone? Nothing of interest. Yeah, some lame movie. Some lame movie. You know, really, specificity, thy name is the new news hour. Uh, I think Shia, Le- Shia LaBeouf, I do believe that he's a person that we as a society are now done with. I think we're all over him. Uh, there was a small period of time where we really cared about him, uh, and it sort of peaked with that Indiana Jones film that nobody really liked, even though they pretended to like it. And I think now we have moved past Shia LaBeouf. I think we've moved on to Ryan Reynolds. He peaked for me in the Even Stevens movie. Yes. Well, he needs to stop having inner city accidents to get in a good one on a freeway. That's what that I'm saying. That might cause some attention. All right. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. All right, take a break. We'll come back after this. 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. You're on hold. Hang tight. Get more of your phone calls around the corner. Coming up later on, Dr. Charles Grant explains economics to me as though I were mentally enfeebled. Uh, we'll also have Nina Parker from TMZ, Top 5, the inaugural edition of It's the Greatest Song Ever Made, and uh, more of your calls, and I'll stay there. The Rick Emerson Show. Radio program. Uh, we'll get your phone calls here in a second. More from Tim Riley coming up later on. We're going to talk with Dr. Charles Grant, instructor of economics at PSU. He has a Ph.D. in economics from the London School of Economics. Uh, also produced Monica Lewinsky, by the way. He didn't produce Monica Lewinsky. The school, you know what I mean. Uh, I was talking earlier about wanting to go into a back alley where a guy had a like a coat full of watches, where he opens up his jacket and goes, Kid, you want a Rolex? And then it's just a big, you know, like row after row of shiny baubles hanging there, like so many Rolex ornaments. So, two things. One, I got an email about that. Also, I had a revelation. You know where I'm getting that image from? There was a guy on the early seasons of MASH. So, like a second or third season of MASH, and he was always showing up at the 407 7th to, to, like, unload a bunch of crap on them. And I do believe there was a scene in which he opened his coat and there was row after row of timepieces inside his jacket. And I think that's where the, the indelible impression came from there. Later in that same episode, he was also doing that, and this, very valuable. And he takes out this, like, kind of little square thing and he goes, Hitler's pencil box. That's the phrase I always remember. Very valuable. Hitler's pencil box. Uh, oh, here we go. Coat full of watches. Rick. That actually happened to me outside the L.A. downtown bus station in 1981. Long overcoat-wearing, smooth-talking, weathered-faced guy with a slow cadence. Eases, I love the way this guy writes. Eases over beside me and opens his right-side coat flap, revealing what must have been at least a 100 neatly lined-up watches and offers me a great deal. Feeling nervous in my first encounter with a human in that seedy part of town, I quickly said no thanks without making eye contact and moved on. I immediately began regretting two things. One... Dismissing the opportunity for the most cliched experience I was ever likely to have. Two, not noticing whether the watches were all set to the current time. That is fascinating. See, now I wonder if the watches were all set to the current time. Like when you go into a clock store, you know, and everything, the clock store, and if you're there at noon or whatever, they all go nuts, and it's like you're on a Pink Floyd record or something. He says, this was just the first of many visits to the bus station that summer, but I never saw the watchman again. And I looked for him as I gained familiarity with the neighborhood, and my confidence grew that I wasn't about to be beaten senseless Max style. Needless to say, I will not pass uh, should a like opportunity ever present itself in the future. 
Signed, the bastard in the burbs. Uh, all right, let's do these uh, calls here. Then we have now. Do we have a submission for a Palin watch, Sarah? We do indeed. All right, so we'll get to that. More from Tim Riley. Uh, hello, who might this be? Uh, Ron. Hello, how can I help you, sir? Hey, I was just wanted to comment about the uh, lady with the flashing of the uh, uh, bosoms. Of the, yes, yes, bosoms. I was sitting in my family room last night playing with a puppy. My wife was tuned into the channel 12 News. All of a sudden, I hear this. Oh my God! I turn around to see. The three photos of her accomplices on the TV screen. Uh, these people obviously missing links from a tribe somewhere. Uh, are they? Uh, are they attractive? <laughs> the gasp from my wife said it all. I turned around to see my 60-inch digital screen with these three incredibly uh, unattractive faces on yeah. it. I'm sure uh, they'll be organizing a nude bike ride. <laughs> Seriously, they'll be hanging out with my wife's friends that worship crystals. They always—they all look like that. They'll be and with the woman who was in front of me in the Ford Escort that had a bumper sticker identifying her as a witch. They'll all be together. Uh, you know, do you have a HD TV, sir? Yes. I'll uh, see. So there you go. You get it in HD. You get all the horror unfolding as though it were right in front of your face. Yes, you can. You can see every uh, flaw. Uh, every crevice and crag in their face. <laughs> all right. Well, I'm sorry you had to live through that, but I'm glad that you did, so I didn't. Uh, thanks, Rick. Best right. show ever. Thank you, my friend. Spread the word. There you go. Uh, how shall I put this? Uh, I'll be very uh, circumspect. Uh, circum, a word like circumspect. You know, when you say, start to say circum, you realize that there's a lot of ways that word could go bad. Yes, I know. I, I, I thought I might head in that direction, but it did. I'll be very circumcised about this next point, is what I did not want to say. Um, so I am working on a, an outside project, which it, at, at present time I cannot really discuss or promote in any real concrete way. And this is not a backdoor way of doing that. I'm just saying, I'm working on this kind of outside project, and uh, I don't know, if things work, if things kind of shake out correctly, I might be able to talk about it. But uh, for now, I am working on an outside project that, that will occasionally um, put uh, put my face on uh, on the television. We'll just say that. My face might be appearing on the, on the television. For something good or something bad? Well, it all depends, Tim, because... I mean, typically it's good, except that our last conversation at the place ended with them saying, and we're going to be moving into HD within just a couple weeks. That's why I got a TV. Yeah. Oops. So I'm already... What do you mean, oops? No, I... What was I, that, oops? I was thinking of something you might want to buy to get yourself ready for HD. A bag? A mask? Oh. Spray-on makeup? No. What is... Uh, what might I wish to buy? It is... It is actually spray on makeup. Really? Mm-hmm. Because right, uh, HD makeup is expensive. Well, I guess I'll just no. say. That. I mean, I can't. It, I, it's kind of like a, a hair blower, but it blows that foundation. On really? Your face. Will it blow my it, ugly it, away? It's airbrush makeup, yeah. basically. Oh, I totally want. I want that just for now, just for walking around during the day. I'll find it for you. I mean, I got a spotty face. I still got a face like a twelve-year-old. If I wear it yeah, during the day, will everybody notice? Everything. What does that well, mean? Doesn't fix everything? Face. No, but I'm saying like it's not like all of a sudden it's like some porcelain mask. Like it's still you know. I wish to be poreless. That's what I want to be, poreless in Portland. Um, I want you to get some so that I can use some of it. Well, here's the thing. Well, okay, let me just pull up a chair so we can just all dive into the big vein uh, end of this pool together. So, a couple of things. A, and again, and I really can't uh, talk about where the project is or what it is, but it, but it is a television project. So, but they said this thing about, like, hey, you're going to be on And right now, I'm just using the regular TV makeup. But so you're saying there's a whole different kind of makeup required for HD? Yeah, I've used it before. All right. Now, if I were to wear that during the day, would people notice? Yes. Oh. Yes. So I can't just wear it around here to look better? You'd look like a walking, like, Ken doll. All the gals will swoon. Re- would they really? Yes. Or would they go, oh, my God, the embalmed live! Cut off his head! 
Uh, all right. Well, I guess that was the end of that. Except to say that you, Sarah, did re- reference that as one reason why you were glad you were not on TV anymore Absolutely. because you did not want to be. And you're a very attractive girl, but you were apprehensive about HD TV. I'm not. I'm not high well, maintenance. Like I would just wear the same thing over and over again. They had very unflattering lighting over there, like mm. it was your backyard patio on Sarah when she was doing the yeah. uh, the traffic. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It was very unflattering. Well, I got to tell you, Sarah and I both done uh, some of the worst television on earth. Oh, I won't be any I more specific. Well, I'm just saying I, I've. I've been I've been so very very down uh, every now and again I've been on some broadcasts that were just uh, if you could just go back and if you could it's almost to the point where I want to invent that Ray Bradbury time machine and go back and step on whatever butterflies I have to to make sure those shows don't air. So the thing I'm doing now is a uh, many 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 thousands of steps above that, but the HD thing makes me a little nervous. And again, cause I'm just all you know it's not like I'm like the worst looking guy on earth, but it's not. But yeah, I'm but also not lynch a hair out of place. It's good. It's Oh, that's it's the thing. Extremely or it's like, distracting. If you have like one eyebrow hair that's like, like a little. Just sister. trying to get in my head right now. That's what it, I swear. That's what I got out. I mean, the, the prettiest people in the world. Like you watch them on high def. Like there's this bar they go to and they have fancy high definition TVs. Right. And you watch the local news. My God. Well, you know Cameron Diaz looks all kinds of bad mm-hmm. in HD. So and everybody thinks she's attractive. So it, it's like going into that uh, unisex bathroom here. We've talked about the mirror in this bathroom. You end up being that guy in Poltergeist where your skin is just falling off in sheets. So, in any event, so that's something else I can be neurotic about. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hi, Rick. It's what? Helen. How Hello. are you? Hello, Helen. Long time no talk. What's up? Um, yeah, I listen to you all the time. Uh, I want to talk about Palm Springs. and that Of is, course you do. A lot of uh, people go down there, yes. but they go down there, say, October and leave in May. And the other months, it's like 100 degrees. So you have a lot of poor people down there. Um, who do maid service and all those kinds of things. And also, also in Palm Springs is a lot of gay people, and the town itself is kind of dying. So really, the musical instruments probably would be for uh, underprivileged kids. All right, then. Well, see, so thanks for clarifying. So Barry Manilow is not the hard-hearted bastard that that guy from yeah, the coup is trying to make him out to be. People who go down there uh, don't have any children. You know, they're retired and rich, and they play golf. All right, then. Well, who can who can ask for anything more? All right, thank you, Helen. Uh, bye. All right, thank you. All right, so you can get your own airbrushing stuff for like 300 bucks. Yeah. Well, this makes me sound pathetic. Hold on, I need to airbrush my face. Not a picture of my face. My actual face needs airbrushing. It used to just be that they would airbrush photos of you. Now they have to actually airbrush you. Uh, uh, smart-ass Rick, will this be an episode of Cops or America's Most Wanted? Ha, ha. Yeah. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Hey, Rick. Hey, Tim. Hey, Sarah. What's up? Hello. Uh, Sean and Camby. Uh, I found out uh, I was in Seattle about uh, back in May for a uh, comic convention, surprisingly enough, and uh, we were just walking around killing time in uh, some back shady alleys in uh, Seattle and actually found a guy who, it was just like out of the movies, or Resident Evil 4, and he opened his, uh, opened his cloak and there was just uh, just all this crap hanging in his uh, in his trench coat. Wait, hold on. What was this? Was this a comic convention? Uh, Emerald City Comic Con. So he did, in fact, not open his coat, but he did open his cloak. Yes, his cloak. That's quite wonderful. Wouldst thou care for a timepiece, my lord? And uh, did yeah. you buy anything from him? I managed to pick up a plus three mace. <laughs> all right, for the win. Thank you. Uh, one more thing. Uh, did you? Uh... Uh, I forgot. Did you ever figure out what to call a group of zombies? Uh, yes. I'm sorry. We forgot to announce that on Monday. That's my fault. I suck. Uh, the poll uh, went for about 10 days online. Uh, Runners-up included Lurch of Zombies, Stagger of Zombies, but the winner really with 39% of the vote. Uh, and now we can make an official proclamation about this here on the Rick Emerson program and for all time. And I'm going to try to get Max Brooks on the phone at some point so we can get him to sign off on this. 
Um, the collective term for a group of zombies is, in fact, slaughter. As in, dude, I just came from outside. There is a whole slaughter of zombies coming down the street. There you go. Slaughter of zombies. Awesome. So say we all. Thank you. All right, there's that guy. Here's Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. So a motorcycle is doing stunts in North Portland. Lost control, crashed, and died last night. Happened around 11 o'clock at the intersection of North Willis Boulevard and North Wabash. Uh, Eric Mitchell Webb, who's 24, was wearing a helmet, but he died of massive head and neck injuries. He and several of his friends are riding motorcycles in the area in the 3400 block of North Willis. When, according to witnesses, uh, Webb performed some stunt maneuver on the motorcycle when he lost control and was ejected. They couldn't save him, but they tried. So he's doing motorcycle stunt work in the intersection of a street at 11 o'clock at night. Yeah, in North Portland. Uh -huh. Now for my next trick, I will remain immobile. Here's Tim Riley. Then sharks don't square, uh, scare some of these swimmers. On Sunday, David Logan was bitten while surfing at New Smyrna Beach in Florida. He suffered several... Where at, Tim? Florida. That was me. I was all you. Yeah, I gave it up. So, uh, Logan covered his injuries with duct tape. And Good got for back him. On the surfboard. The well done. The 24-year-old was the 23rd bite victim of the year out the coast. Further south, Greg Noir was swimming with his 14-pound dog at a marina in the Florida Keys when he saw a shark approach with its mouth wide open. Wow. He shrieked, then clenched his fist and punched the shark. Excellent. Good for him. It ended, and the guy won. The oh. shark took off. Okay, so here's the thing. Don't get me wrong. Uh, I stand by our statement that, and I, can, I don't know that I can speak for all of you, but I always root for nature. I always root for the animal in these confrontations. Mm -hmm. But that being said, that guy took on a shark with his bare hands. Punched the shark in the nose, the shark went away. See, I salute that guy for dealing with the shark on his own terms in his own area. And not like some uh, jackass sitting in a tree with a high-powered rifle waiting for a cow to walk by or something. So, hey, go into the, uh, go into the surf, you know, go into the, 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 you know, the, uh, the ocean, which is just a jungle that's underwater. Shark comes after you and your dog. You grapple, you fight, you load up, you party, you punch the shark in the nose, the shark goes away. That's, that's the way it ought to be done. All right, hail to you. That guy? Uh, all right, here's Tim Riley. Oh, this is strange. CNN anchor Robin Mead has secured a restraining order against a main man who claimed her on-the-air body language told him to travel to Atlanta to meet her. CNN says 32-year-old Gregory Fitzgerald of Lewiston, Maine, emailed Mead and made repeated calls to the cable news channel expressing a love interest. Mead anchors the headline news. Wait, hold on. Robin Mead? Mm -hmm. Is this on CNN or on CNN headline news? Headline, oh, news, headline news, which nobody watches. I That's why we never heard of it. Boy, I haven't watched... Hold on a second. I moved my microphone out of the way so I could Google something. I haven't watched headline news for years. No, I haven't either. You know when I, Okay, when did you quit watching headline news? I wonder if it's the same time I did. At least was, seven or eight years was ago. Was there a specific incident that prompted you to quit watching that precipitated your, uh, your non-viewing? It, it it seemed to be brief and mindless. I mean, the, the stories just didn't give you enough information. Well, that's true. I mean, they certainly don't. It is. Let's have no illusions about that. It is. I mean, how little time do you have that you can't go to the internet and pick up more information? And and really, but I mean, the same time frame. And don't get me wrong, we love CNN, but it's not like CNN long form news is really all of that. It's not that all that in depth. I mean, just because Anderson Cooper's show runs an hour doesn't mean they're doing an hour on anything. They still probably only do five or maybe ten minutes on a topic, and then they move on to something else. That's just the way the American mind works. I quit watching headline news when Lynn Russell left, and I think I speak for a lot of guys in that regard, because Lynn Russell was uh, amazingly sexy in this sort of unconventional way, because she, you know, she was attractive, she spoke like nine languages, she was a cop, 
She was an, a marksman. She was a black belt. She was a licensed bounty hunter, by the way. Uh, and again, hot. So, and all of the above things made her even, you know, even hotter. So, but when she left, I kind of quit watching. Okay, I'm looking at Robin Mead. Boy, she is. Uh, she's a she's a little something, isn't she? I think she might be giving uh, me some messages right now. Well, apparently, the way that she was waving her hands, blinking those beautiful eyes, and crossing those beautiful legs, said, come on down and meet me sometime. Now, are we entirely sure that she wasn't sending these messages? She looks like the type who might do that. She may have. I mean, I'm just saying. Wow. Hold on. Let me see if I can get a picture of her, like a candid shot of her on the air. This is creepy. Some guy has captured an image of her. I, I, I don't know if it was like halfway a blink or it's like a, it's a screen capture at the moment where she appears to be winking. You know that this guy. You know that this guy has uh, has the picture of her winking as his as his, as his like desktop or whatever. Wow, she's uh she's quite something. You know what she looks like? She looks like a less trashy uh, Lisa Marie Presley. That's exactly what she looks like. And by the way, look, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I see anything wrong with this. In fact, I see only right with this. When did news organizations decide that you could wear a plunging neckline leopard print top? That hugged your bosoms in a very flattering way. Who wants to see Once it? Once ratings were going down, right? All right, let's uh, let's look at that. Oh my! Wow! That's what that's on headline that's a news. Newscaster? That is, she's on new, the news uh, channel. That's she's a weather girl. News. Well, people are gonna watch tonight. Yeah, I got your weather forecast. It's hot, Sarah. Oh my God! There's a warm front moving. Wow, <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. I feel a high pressure system building. Well, it's like those things are just strapped in. They're just hanging out. Yeah, I uh. Like I'm a, a big fan of hers. Yes, yeah. yes, it is. I suddenly feel the need to go to Atlanta. Uh, here's uh, Tim Riley at the Ministry of Truth. This guy's family said they'll get him some help. Uh, by the way, uh, you are listening to KCMD Portland. Wow. Okay, i got to close this. i got to get rid of this picture of her. It's just so... Uh, she is sort of strangely hypnotizing. I wonder if she's smart. It's too much to hope for that she'd be smart. I mean, that can't, that can't possibly be true. She can't possibly be intelligent on top of all of this. Uh, by the way, we're going to be talking to the economics guy here in a few. So here's a dumb question. What do we need to be asking? We'll take calls, by the way. In a few minutes, we're going to be talking to Charles Grant, instructor of economics at PSU. He has a Ph.D. in economics from the London School of Economics. But let's take a moment here on KCMD Portland. What should we be asking this guy? And I, know, I don't mean to sound, you know... I mean, it's not a rhetorical question. Really, what is it that we should be asking this guy? Both things that we don't understand and things that probably the average American needs explained. Tim? Why is it that it is important to save Wall Street when this is a free market and we should just let it crash and see what happens? I like your style, Tim. You need to save Wall Street. Free market. Yeah. Boy, can I just tell you this? Here's a phrase I'm tired of hearing. Wall Street, blah, 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 Main Street. Stop it. No one lives on Main Street. And even if they did, it would remain a stupid phrase. Wall Street, uh, free market. I'm and and do these politicians who voted against it know deep down that it is necessary to save it, to save the economy, but they're just playing to their constituents to get reelected, even though they know they made a disastrous decision? So, in other words, you're saying, uh, do the politicians realize the potential ramifications of pleasing their constituents by not passing this. That is correct, yeah. Okay, realize ramifications. Um, Sarah, you might be a good person to ask here, only because I think the three of us here in the room represent the three different levels of economic intelligence. Tim knows a lot about money and a lot about finance. That's because I've lost everything so many times. <laughs> um, 
Moving on. I I know uh, I know a little bit, but that's because I live with someone who knows a lot, and so I know nothing. Yeah, Laura knows uh, probably not as much as Tim, but Laura certainly knows much more than I do. And throw so it's sort of uh, osmosified, osmosed. If something happens through osmosis, what is the verb of that? Osmosed. Osmosis. Osmosified. It osmosified itself. You're you're requiring too much thinking over this. That knowledge osmosified itself into my brain, where I then thinkified upon it. Um, so, uh, so Laura knows some stuff, and so I, I've kind of picked up on some of that. And then, Sarah, you would say you're sort of a neophyte in terms of finances. Oh, you, absolutely. You, no, you know, no. you still live like a college student in a lot of ways. All right. So, ramifications. What? Okay. So, what don't you? I mean, I don't I mean to sound like a condescending question. What don't you understand? About what's going on? Honestly, now. I'm just so. I mean, start even if it's I'm very so basic. Passive, I don't care. But it's just not that I don't understand. I just don't okay. care. Okay. Well, no, no, that's a good question. Though. Why? Okay. Let me just because you have. If you don't... all I hear about, you know, I don't make that much money. And all I hear about, you know, people like, oh, all my investments with all my money. I'm just like, well, f you if you have all that money. So do you spoken like a true class warrior? Good for you. Um, by the way, can I tell you that uh, when Lara went to uh, Italy a while back, she stopped at this store that sold like little jewelry and knickknacks and patty wax and whatever. And she brought home a bunch of little pins, and one was like a Ramones pin, and one was like, she had a Rosie the Riveter pin that she wears. And she brought me home, apparently in Italy they have this. There was like, you know, there's like the peace symbol, and then there's like a cross, which is for Christianity, and then there's, you know, the symbols for different movements and religions and faiths and so forth. There apparently in Europe is a little symbol. It looks kind of like a peace sign, but it's a symbol that is for class war. And so she brought it home, and uh, and I actually have that sitting on my desk at home. I have a little class warfare button. Um, okay, but, so if you don't mind me asking some of these questions here, so you don't have stock or anything. No, no, I think I have a 401k or something. Uh, all right. And you have stock. Well, you had a oh, 401k. Okay, yeah. Uh, well, so you don't directly go buy stock, but you through your 401k, the uh, the man does a little stock buying for you. I guess so. CBS gives you some stock. Yes. Yeah. All right. Uh, so stock, but you know you don't own a home. Mm-mm. Not going to be getting a loan. Mm-mm. Do you have a credit card? If I can ask. Um, no. Okay, credit card. And no loans. And you don't plan to to have loans or anything like that. No, and I don't right. have any debt. Okay, so then the question is, like, who cares, right? Yeah. From your perspective, and maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. All right, Tim. Anything else here? And then we're going to uh, welcome Dr. Charles Grant to the phone here in just a moment. I can't think of anything offhand except. Since we lost like a billion dollars yesterday, is is that just a temporary setback, or does it take a, I mean, a permanent chunk out of our standing in the world economically? In other words, will that bounce back, or is that a trillion dollars that is just gone? Gone. Gone. Very gone. And lessened our clout in the world. All right. Good questions. Good questions. All right. Uh, so if you, uh, have a question for The Economist, the, oh, I wish, you know, I should have a, a little sound effect for this. Hold on. Uh, do I have my dice of destiny? If you have a question for, I'm going to give it one more try. I think I may have lost my dice of destiny sounder. Wait, if you have a question for The Economist, uh, now is the time to call. It's 503 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. All right, so let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show, Dr. Charles Grant. He has a Ph.D. in economics uh, from the University of London, London School of Economics, a M.A. in economics uh, from McMaster University, a B.A. in economics. He's the smartest guy who's ever lived. We'll just call it that. Uh, and he is an instructor of economics at PSU. Uh, hello, Dr. Grant. How are you today? Oh, 
very fine. Uh, actually, I, uh, I got a full-time job at last, and I'm actually an assistant professor now at uh, PSU after being a part-time adjunct for many, many years. All right. You are, uh, let me just say this, uh, you are, in fact, smarter than everybody in this building put together and tripled. <laughs> all right? I doubt that. Uh, I mean, really, if you put me in some sort of futuristic mad scientist brain bro uh, brain-growing machine, it, I, I would still, I wouldn't be able to hold a candle to you, which is why we're going to sort of ask you some stuff here. We're going to start very basically, because we got a lot of people, and some of them are in the studio, and some of them are named Rick Emerson, who don't understand a whole lot about what's going on. It's just that everybody sort of is, is shrieking about uh, the ill-defined bad. So, right. so Okay, me, well, would you like me to talk a little bit about that? Well, let me ask you just some basic questions to sort of begin with. So... In sort of the simplest terms, as though you were speaking to children who were perhaps a little slow, how is it that something that was maybe building or bubbling up uh, over the last months, years, whatever, what happened a couple weeks ago that suddenly put us kind of uh, in, in the poorhouse right now? Well, it was a uh, it was a culmination of a lot of uh, uh, of things that had been building uh, for uh, over a year now, almost in fact a year and a half. Um, we knew that financial uh, certain financial institutions were suspected of being in trouble, and uh, eventually, uh, at the time, we uh, we kind of ignored it. Uh, most of uh, Wall Street and most of the commentators on uh, on Wall Street um, and and the financial you know sol solidity of our system um, really were uh, were concerned but uh, it didn't look like uh, it would uh, eventually lead to what we now have um, but it did and i think a lot of that was people just didn't realize how severe the mortgage default uh, would be. The uh, the spread of mortgage defaults, um, the overpricing of houses was uh, way beyond what we thought uh, was uh, was the case at the time. And the number of financial institutions and the types of financial institutions that we thought were were uh, exposed to uh, what we call what you might just call generally structured investment vehicles so um, those it, were uh, those were uh, serious problems that we didn't see so if i can if i can ask this so um on some level uh, is a big part of this that banks other lending institutions were lending money to folks or helping to get people into houses that, that they had to know on some level these people weren't going to be able to pay it back or, or well, pay it off. Well, right. Toward the end, uh, you know, the, uh, that's exactly right. Um, I think uh, there were some institutions, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the shops um, that, uh, that were probably well aware that uh, the loans they were making were um, absolutely risky. So why, um, were they, why were they then given these loans? Was it just that the short-term profit from the, that they were making by giving the loan – you know, that was what satiated them in the moment, and they that's, just figured that the bill would come due for somebody else. That's right, and and that's one of the things that uh, characterizes modern banking crises from previous banking crises. We've had these financial crises throughout the history of the republic, um, but in the last uh, 25 years or so, under deregulation, which started occurring in the 70s and uh, uh, sort of gathered speed in the 80s, what happened was um, all sorts of sophisticated financial instruments could be could be concocted and uh, financial institutions were selling these to each other selling buying and selling them to each other right. and uh, the underlying risk you know that is say somebody who's not able to pay their mortgage 
the underlying risk kind of got lost in the pile, and uh, everybody was. Uh, uh, in fact, there's your there's your uncertainty right there. These institutions are still not sure what the value of their of their holdings are. So is this? Uh, let me ask another question. If I and I know I'm sort of oversimplifying this, but but to a large degree, it seems like this is two different versions of the same. Uh, behavior, which is that you've got citizens, you know, just a, the regular guy in the street or a family with a house, and you've got uh, the large company. Both of those, uh, both of those folks, you got the company, you got the family, and they're yeah. both putting everything on credit, putting everything on the card or in a line of credit, uh, and just you know, and, and never really thinking about like, well, look, at some point somebody's going to want to collect this ninety grand of like credit card debt I, I have, and with the company. The company's got a rotating line of $25 million worth of credit, and they max it out, and they never really thought, well, look, at some point, somebody's going to need this money back. That's exactly right, and that's the, that's the history of the world, or at least our part of the world, is that um, the, uh, even back in the 19th century, our, our banks um, were, uh, were making risky loans, um, and uh, eventually, you know, uh, risk comes home to roost. And uh, and we had a series uh, in the 19th century of uh, of what you might call boom and bust, um, where the uh, banking system was usually right at the heart of the matter. The Federal Reserve came in in 1912, was uh, in 1913, um, and was set up essentially to tell the the banks here we're going to uh, essentially uh, lend you, we'll give you loans, we will lend you money and support you if there's a crisis. Um, but you, the quid pro quo is you have to uh, obey our rules. Right. Like, uh, and and, and that, uh, that was set up in the early 1900s to, to keep the banking system from, from having these crises. And then we got to the Depression. You see the stock market fall in 1929, uh, which actually the stock market fell, then it recovered and fell and recovered. It took four years before it bottomed out. Um, and uh, the, uh, the, the big criticism that economists have is that the Federal Reserve, rather than uh, backing, you know, doing what it was supposed to do and inject liquidity, that is essentially lending into the uh, banking system, um, actually, uh, for, all, for all intents and purposes, it did nothing. And uh, as a result, the financial crisis that started with that collapse in the stock market spread to the real economy. Um, then, of course, uh, in the, in the, uh, as we re- emerged out of depression in the 30s, then we came in, we had a lot of regulation of the financial system. Which was then sort of stripped away in recent years. Exactly. Right. And so what you've got is the behavior of the financial system, which I think is, is just it, it's inherent in the, in the capitalist market economy that we've got. Um, capitalist market economy is great at, getting, at, at providing funding for new ideas and new products, and that's why we're rich and we... And and we, you know, we're, we're rich. Um, but the fact of the matter is the other side of that coin is um, if you give them an inch, they'll take a mile. Well, that, so that brings me then to a question that I think a lot of people have. And there was this uh, you know, big story when the, the bailout plan was voted yeah. down and you heard that a lot of Congress people heard from their constituents. Like, you know, they said in some, in some states and in some uh, districts it was running 80 percent against yeah. and so forth. So let me ask you a real dumb question. In, in a free market economy, in a, in a capitalist system, uh, why do we need to step in and save Wall Street, private banks, private companies that ought to have known better, uh, did know better, disregarded their own common sense, and are kind of now hoist by their own petard? Like, w- even if it's going to cause us some, some discomfort, 
Why should we step in and, and solve their problem for them? Well, it's it's a little bit like this. Is uh, uh, my uh, my car is not running very well? Uh, my normally, uh, you know, is, uh, the, the the lubricant, the oil I put in my engine um, keeps the uh, the engine lubricated and my car running. Um, suddenly, uh, I have a, a problem with my car running, and uh, the mechanic tells me, "Oh, you know, your oil is 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 bad. It's shot, um, or whatever." So what I do is, instead of replacing the oil, what I do is I drain it all out of my car and say, "To heck with that! I don't need any oil in my car." Um, that's uh, that's essentially. I mean, I'm sorry to say it right. because I think these um, these guys uh, who were were pushing what they knew, I'm sure they knew, were bad loans. Um, you know, too risky to be due diligence um, these uh, these guys have probably made off with millions of dollars personally um, and uh, the taxpayer the you know we the public are left holding the bag but the problem is is that if you try to punish them by uh, essentially not uh, providing the system with liquidity um, then we're doing the same thing as the Fed did back in uh, after 1929 um, instead of injecting liquidity that is you know lending into the system to try to restart it, to keep it going, what you're doing is you're draining it out or you're, you're causing it to seize up. Um, and uh, that's going to – we saw what happened in the 30s. We had unemployment right. up above 20% for most of the decades. Uh, well, let me – so we're talking to Dr. Charles Grant. And please uh, forgive me this. You are now – you are an assistant professor? Yes, that's Okay, right. an assistant professor. Uh, so let's go to the sort of the opposite end of the equation. We have my producer, Sarah Dillon, and right. we were just sort of talking to her before you, before you came on the show. And – We've got all levels of economic knowledge or investment represented on the show. There's uh, our news director, who's you know, very shrewd, very, uh, very fiscally knowledgeable, very you know sound, and so forth. And I'm and I'm kind of that way as I become an adult. Sarah um, has uh, through uh, our company has a 401k, but herself she does not herself go out and purchase stock. She doesn't play the market herself. She doesn't own a home. She doesn't have any outstanding loans. Does not, in fact. Uh, use a credit card and, and really doesn't plan to do any of th these things right now. So the question is, what 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 does she care? What is it? How is this going to affect her, if at all? What, uh, what ways? Directly, directly, how it might affect her is if she's got a 401k. It depends on how that is invested. Um, if that is invested, for example, let's just say even in blue chips in the stock market, um, then of course if the stock market continues to fall when it falls. Um, then of course she's uh, she's hurt by that. Her 401k uh, could uh, 401k could turn out to be uh, you know much, worth much less than uh, than she thinks. Now probably if she's not going to retire you know for 20 years, then the likelihood is by that time the U.S. economy will have recovered, and this will just be a historical incident that we'll be teaching in uh, in our economics class. So what about just the day-to-day -day life of a person who uh, maybe has almost no involvement in this sort of thing in any real way? How is just the average guy on the street, his day-to-day -day life, going to be affected by this? Uh, it won't until uh, he or she loses his or her job. Um, and that's what I'm talking about, the real economy, is that if the company uh, that they work for or that their spouse works for um, uh, finds that it is, uh, it is unable to continue financing its operations, then they'll have to close. So what happens is you're seeing um, the danger here is that it's not just a collapse of financial institutions that's the problem. It is the provision of liquidity or funding, lending, that they that 
that they provide to the real businesses, uh, you know, uh, companies that hire people. And when those companies go bust, then you're beginning to get uh, extremely serious effects. And but, that's when you see, like, companies, they, they get a lower credit limit, people get a lower credit limit. And in oh, America, yeah. people put everything on their credit cards, and then suddenly the bank right. is just going to, you know, your credit company is going to drop your credit limit without warning. And that's what we yeah. call a credit crunch. Oh. Um, and uh, it, 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 and then even even when the system begins to recover, um, assuming it does, what we'll, I think we're going to see is we're going to see higher interest rates because, of course, all these institutions, um, you know, are once burnt, twice shy. Um, they're going to, uh, you know, credit is not going to be so easy to obtain. Let me let me ask you a question. Just from your vantage point as a guy who understands economics, you look at these guys. Uh, the last couple of days, and they're wrangling about this bailout bill or the rescue bill or whatever we're going to call it, uh, and they're sort of listening to the, the people who are saying, well, look, we're not going to vote for you if you pass this bailout bill, yes. so you better still... Do you think uh, the, Do you think that the politicians have any real understanding or sense of what they are voting on one way or the other? I mean, do you think they have even the vaguest understanding, or are they simply going off like a Cliff's Notes sort of uh, understanding of this? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think uh, I happen to be a uh, city councilor where I live and have been for several years. Um, I see it here at the local level, is that uh, there are people, usually a minority of people, when there is a problem, or in this case a crisis, um, there are some people who know what's going on, or pretty much what's going on, um, and uh, there are probably the 90% of the other people involved in it who really only have, as you say, a rudimentary right. understanding. Right. Tim, yeah. did you have uh, our news director, Tim Riley, had a, a uh, question? A uh, two-part question. Sure. Uh, as far as banks uh, lowering people's credit limits, now, are the people who are losing, say, a few thousand dollars on their credit limits on the credit card now those with a lower FICO score? Or are they letting those with a higher FICO score keep what they have? Yes, pretty much. Uh, is that yes? The lower down the chain you are in terms of your credit limit, um, the higher the higher risk you are running uh, for a a lowering of your credit limit and b maybe a ratcheting up of uh, of fees and uh, and your your interest rate. Um, so yeah, you you will you may see it in that respect that uh, credit is going to get tightened. We are uh, talking to Dr. Charles Grant. I'm sorry, Tim. You had a second part uh, of that. Uh, second question. Sorry. As far as uh, home mortgages go now, have we seen the last of the no down payment, the 5% down, or are now we going back to the 20% down to get a home mortgage now? I think we're, you'll, you will not get to no down payment. Uh, 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 yeah, um, we are. I think that era is over for a very long time. I mean, I can't guarantee that in another 50 years um, we won't be going through another one of these credit crises. I mean, it seems like if you can't be putting 20, if you can't put 20% down for a house. You probably shouldn't be buying the house to begin with. It seems like that might be how we kind of got into this well, whole jam. It's an interesting thing you say that because what happened after the 30s, as I was saying, we had a regulatory environment. Banks, for example, had limits on um, the amount of interest they could charge, right. and, uh, et cetera. We had a very, uh, in retrospect, a highly regulated financial system, and that was a system in which um, credit was much tighter um, than it is now. And they weren't just sort of but handing it out. That's right, and remember what used to happen. I mean, I'm old enough to remember my parents anyway, and certainly my grandparents had to, they, in fact, I think my grandparents basically bought their house outright. 
Um, and that was the way it used to be. You had to have a fair amount of savings for your down payment. And if you and couldn't pay for it, you couldn't pay for that's it. That's right. You, and right now, of course, the American economy, and here's a whole other topic when we're talking about um, the fact that Americans essentially don't save. That's what makes all this debt right. we're piling up. We are dependent on the rest of the world to finance that debt for us because we don't save. But I think we're going to move, just like we moved over a period of half a century, from a world where people saved to a world where, where people and businesses were all in debt to each other, right. we're going to be going back in the other direction because the result of this is our government is going to, the institution, maybe even create new institutions, we're going to have a move back toward a more regulated financial sector. We're talking to Dr. Uh, Charles Grant. He is an assistant professor of economics. Uh, and I know we have uh, some uh, listeners. We've been, the last couple of weeks, like a lot of people, we've just been kind of running our mouths about this without really knowing what we're talking about. This is, uh, let's see, uh, Dave, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. 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 Hi, Dave. Um, my question, I guess, was, is with all this going on, what's going to happen to the layman person who, say, is defaulting on their $150,000 home loan? Good where, question. Where are um, they going to end up at? Yeah, it's uh, right now, in the absence of any legislation that I have not seen or heard of yet, um, what's going to happen is that person is going to lose their uh, lose their home. Are we going to end up with a whole uh, the whole generation of people that get kicked up, you know, booted up the street? Could I mean, you know, it, uh, people rode boxcars in the 30s. Right. Now, I I don't think it's going to get that bad because I think um, my I am I'm a believer. I think that uh, regardless of the fact as well of what has happened uh, yesterday, um, you know, where the, where the whole bailout plan failed. Um, Politicians, even if they don't fully understand the situation, realize that they've got to get some um, some uh, safeguards in place here. And I how long it's going to take, but uh, I would hope, I would hope, but I can't guarantee it, and I'm a little pessimistic on this, that not only will we, we shore up the financial institutions who created this uh, problem, but we will also shore up in some way people like Dave or his friends or right. people he may know um, who are uh, in uh, default, uh, because it's a, it would be a real, uh, a real blow, I think, uh, to, uh, in fact, it would be almost a political political death. We're all gonna all gonna end up living in Hoovervilles. Well, could be. Uh, let's. Uh, hi, Darren. You're on the Rick Emerson show. Hello. Hi, Rick. Hey. Uh, my question for Dr. Grant is: uh, Over the last several years, my property taxes have been going up because my assessed value of my property has been going up. Yeah. And in the past year, now that my value of my home diminished by twenty to twenty-five percent, will I see a correction in my property tax statement reflecting lower property taxes? I uh, probably they won't do it automatically. What you'll have to do, I think, is uh, uh, ask the uh, county assessor, uh, wherever you live, um, to do an assessment. Um, uh, or you could go to a bank, uh, you know, and if you're doing a, if you're thinking in terms of a of a housing transaction, then the bank will do an assessment um, of the value of your property, and they will inform the county of that uh, assessment. But okay. you could, and for that matter, you could always hire an assessor, pay them the four or five hundred bucks that they usually charge, get it figured out, and and then they would contact the assessors. So you can get the the assessed value reduced. Um, if you're willing to do that. All right, we'll do uh, one more here. Ed, you're on the Rick Emerson Show with Dr. Charles Grant. Hey, Dr. Hey, Rick. Hey. Hi. Okay, I, let me break this down. So I don't understand. I own a home, right? Right, right. Let's say I own it outright. Yes. Now, I sell it to you, right? right? 
you're paying me interest and principal for the house for 30 years, okay? okay? Right. Now, five years in, you sell it to another guy, and you sell it for more, right? Right. So I don't understand. The banks own the homes. They still own them. Yes. Whether or not people pay them, they still own the homes and the properties and the commercial yes. properties. Yes, they do. Where are they out exactly? How are they losing all of this money? Well, the banks, what happens is is that, first of all, I mean, when a default occurs here, they stop receiving any payments. So the bank has lent, say, 100000 or whatever on somebody's house, and they're getting $1,000 monthly payments. Suddenly, under a default, that is a default. Uh, they're no longer receiving that $1,000 a month. And then they but, got property maybe they can't unload. And on, on top of that, if they can't, it costs to unload a house. You know, it costs the money to, to, to sell a house. Uh, so the banks are going to have to take on that time and expense to do that. And while they are trying to sell the property, what's happening is, is they are also responsible for paying the taxes because they are the owners and uh, any maintenance and upkeep on these things. So banks hate to be in the business of uh, foreclosure, but the, uh, essentially that's, uh, that's the, uh, the, there is no option, um, at least under the current uh, legislation, right. other than but declaring but if, that. But if the bailout would have gone through, yeah. who owns the property now? Um, the bank it? still would have owned it, except now they would have been breathing a little easier because the drain on their cash, remember when that money is going out to maintain the house and they're not receiving any mortgage payments, this is, uh, this is where the banks are losing money. So what they've got now is they've got a gigantic loan in, in, collectively from the, from the federal government, which uh, then allows them to reorganize. You know, it's kind of like buying time. Um, it, it allows them that they now have the funds, the liquid funds, that enables them to, uh, to, to, to rearrange their business so as to kind of get out of this mess. Eventually. And to do financial but, maneuvering, basically. Right, exactly so. But, right. Uh, but the person who's uh, – that this legislation does not, as far as I know, um, propose anything, any direct uh, – there's, there's no direct uh, mechanism that they're proposing that actually bails out the guy who's in default on right, his mortgage. Right, right. All right, Dr. Charles Grant, thank you so much for, for clearing some stuff up and just answering what probably seems like very basic questions to you, but stuff that I know is sort of perplexing no, this, us and a lot of people. So. This is all very interesting. I love to teach. This is exactly why I love to teach. All right, Dr. Um, anyway, thank you very much. Yeah, Dr. Charles Grant, Assistant Professor of Economics at PSU. Thank you, sir. All right, there you go. You know, guys like that always make me feel, uh, Richie, can you talk to Dr. Grant? Make me feel so much better because I like to know that there's guys somewhere who understand it. Mm-hmm. But then it makes me feel so much more terrified because I realize I don't understand I mean, he did a pretty good job of explaining stuff, but even then, some of it I still didn't grasp, and then the stuff I did grasp was just terrifying. I mean, when he was sort of, when that guy flat, that guy Dave flat out called up and said, look, I got, you know, I think he, I don't think he said himself, but I think, well, what about somebody who owes 150 grand still? And then the, the guy just said, look, you might all be out on the streets. I mean, there might be, there might be just a whole, a whole generation of folks that get booted out and they got to go live in a, in a shack somewhere. I'm just glad that all the things that I thought that it would impact me, those are the specific things that he did say and like right. no more, no less. Right. Like I knew it would be like the 401k and the job. Oh, and you, you have nothing to worry about. No, and see, even I know this actually. That uh, I mean, look, I'll put it this way. You, you might lose your job, but frankly, you, you, you might have lost your job a year ago. And you know what? The economy could be booming. You might still lose your job. That's the thing okay. I will say about all of us. And if it sounds sometimes... To some people, like I may be a little flip about this, I think that we here in this room and in this, we in radio, I think, 
uh, in a lot of entertainment-based industries, we probably look at this a little bit of a jaundiced eye because it's like it doesn't really matter how well the economy is going. They put me out of my ass tomorrow. Yeah. I mean, this could be my last show today, for all I know. Oh, I mean, we do theoretically. Every, you do every show like it's your last one. That's what Just I'm saying. That. I mean, you know, you know, you can become Radio Disney tomorrow. Um, but but the, the, the one thing I know, though, is that for you, like, the younger you are, the less it's going to affect you, though. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, you bounce from job to job sometimes anyway. And also, you're not going to be retiring for, like, 40 years. So uh, the closer you are to retirement, the more you got to worry. Because your 401K, I mean, that's, you know, that's where you live. And that's what you're living on. And if it's, you know, just, I mean, I will... Um, well, I'll just say this. I, I know someone, I won't say uh, who, uh, I know someone who in a very relatively recent time, in a, in a small time frame, has lost tens of thousands of dollars. I mean, like 30 grand, like gone. Uh, you know, and it's just, you know, it maybe it bounces back, maybe it doesn't. Maybe it bounces back, it takes 10 years to do it. So if you're not going to have to worry about that for 20 or 30 years, you're probably okay. But, you know, like if you're uh, you're my mom, you're not too happy about this. Well, well the other thing is, see if you bought a house, say, the year before last when everything was booming. Right. And all of a sudden the prices go down, you've lost all the equity in your house. So, I mean, you've lost, you know, right. thirty or $40,000 in, in what the value of your house was when you bought it. It's, I mean, it, it is really, it's one of those things where Seamus, uh, our listener Seamus put a, 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 a post on my, um, a space uh, uh, thing the other day, I can't, I can't talk right now, the, uh, the comment section, and he said something to the effect of, uh, you know, what I think we, or what I have certainly said, and actually Lycus talked about, I think Lycus did either two or three hours on this yesterday, and he was at Shea Stadium, man, you know, Lycus broadcasting live from Shea Stadium, he had, I think, two full hours on the economy, and maybe three, and Lycus, of course, very opposed to the bailout, he's just, he he's absolutely, unbelievably entrenched against the bailout, like a lot of people are. And, you know, Lycus, to some degrees, he himself will tell you, he's got liquidity, he's got tons of money in the bank, he's got investments, he's got property, he's got all that, so it's going to be easier for him to weather this storm. Right. And he's very solidly in the camp of, like, F them, they made the bed, let them lie in it, uh, you know, and you know, maybe they'll learn not to, uh, you know, not to run their business so badly next time. And I think a lot of people feel that, but it's, you talk to a lot of other people, though, and they see, like, real day-to-day impacts on, oh, yeah. you know, like our good friend Susie Orman was talking about... Uh, she's like, you know, if you got a, if you got a five thousand dollar credit line in your credit card, like you, let's say you get, a, you got a visa, you know, and you five grand or whatever, or you take any credit card, five thousand dollar credit limit. Well, if you're really only using twenty five hundred dollars of that five thousand dollar credit limit, the, the odds are pretty good you're going to wake up someday real soon, and your five thousand dollar credit limit on your credit card has been dropped to twenty five hundred dollars. Depending on what your credit score is. Yeah, depending on your credit yeah. score. Um, uh, you know, and as she pointed out, there's a whole lot of people who. They live their whole lives on their credit cards, which is what these companies have been doing too. It's not like I'm any smarter than anybody else, but I, you know, if you have been financing your whole life on plastic, uh, things are about to get, I think, very unpleasant for you. And I will not be surprised if in 10 years they are doing stories about a whole wave of people who, wait for it, had to move back home with their parents because they were 28, 29, 30 years of age, up to their eyeballs and hock on their credit cards, paying for everything on credit. And then when the, you know it comes due, you know the man comes and asks for your money, and you got nothing. Uh, especially if you've been fired, because you're probably not going to be able to get a job as quickly as you would have before. So you know. But anyway, but Seamus made this point that if you've got the fu money put aside, if you've got any sort of financial cushion, that in a, in a sort of perverse way, you know, it might be tempted to say f it, like let it let it go up in smoke, let it burn, and maybe the next time they'll figure out how to do it without screwing it up. Oh, incidentally, the stock market rebounds by nearly 500 points, the biggest rise in history. Excellent. All right. Let's take a break. We'll come back uh, after this. We will have more from Tim Riley. 
Uh, and then we'll talk about the news that really matters. Nina Parker from TMZ will join us. Uh, we will have today's inaugural edition of The Greatest Songs Ever Made. We'll have Lisa Wood's top five teenage lovelorn moping songs. Today's birth of a salesman semifinalist. More of your calls and a penis watch. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program. Don't go anywhere. I can't go to school because I ain't got a gun. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Just a moment more news from Tim Riley. Still to come today, penis watch. Uh, I think a cannibal watch, maybe. I can find the cannibal watch. Is it like a leftover cannibal watch? It is. Leftover. Leftover cannibal watch. Uh, Let's see. Nina Parker from TMZ. Later on today's birth of a salesman semifinalist, Lisa Wood's top five teenage lovelorn moping songs. Uh, And today's inaugural edition of The Greatest Songs Ever Made. Uh, Let's see here. Rick, I've been out of town. I've yet to catch up on podcasts. Uh, but if the Inquirer story on the Palin affair is credible, why are they not picking it up? You would have figured they would be sharks to the blood. Apparently, Dorothy Carcassari, or hopefully Dorothy Carcassari can clarify. Uh, curious onlooker, Joe. Um, well, I, I, can, I, I can't speak for the mainstream media. Uh, we're never really invited to their tea parties. But I can, I can speculate, and the speculation is this, is that... Just everybody went so full bore on that Bristol Palin being knocked up story. And here's yeah. the thing: I here's the thing that Republicans do better than almost anybody is the Republicans can just uh, it, it, it can sort of I, I don't know, sort of uh, I was going to say sort of it's like a head trip. They can really shame the media into doing things. They, it's like a Jedi mind thing where they say like you are liberally biased, you cover Sarah Palin, and then the media says God, maybe we are. I guess we should ease up. So they covered the, the you know the Bristol Palin thing. And then there was so much outcry uh, from the people in Sarah Palin's camp that it was unfair and it was mean and it was tawdry and it was whatever. So now that it comes out that, like, her kid was hooked on Oxycontin and that she was humping some guy that sold snowmobiles uh, and that her daughter was on film smoking pot, you know, the media's not really going to cover that because I think they felt so chastised for covering the Bristol Palin thing. So that would just, that would be my assessment. This one says, about Sarah. Sarah, with few liabilities, no credit cards, no house payments, etc., you may be better off than many others. Drink up to your wonderful life. There you go, Sarah. Just raise a toast. I can tell the whole str- I can tell the whole conversation money. was stressing you out. No, no, I I have money stashed in a shoebox somewhere. Do you really? Oh yeah, I and, never put all my money in the bank. In an actual shoebox? I mean, I'd rather not. Is it that. a? Sh- <laughs> is it one of those things that's shaped like a can of mixed nuts but has a lock on the bottom of it? I have money hidden in my apartment. At the Ministry of Truth, he's Tim Riley. I was wondering whether to dump that or not. And now, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. Well, at least now we know. (laughs) All right, then. The Dow Jones surged nearly 500 points today after yesterday's historic drop of 777 points. Jesus. Wall Street investors are acting on hope. That Congress might someday pass something in their favor. <laughs> That's not going to happen. Uh, I think we have a little uh, higher on the Rick Emerson show. Do you have breaking traffic news, sir? Uh, yeah, the northbound lanes of I-5 are all backed up. There was an accident at the uh, Lloyd Center City Center exit, and there's a whole bunch of there's an ambulance and some cop cars and stuff. I'm all not right. sure if they got cleared by now, but it's pretty nasty. You're going to want to stay away from there. All right, and that's uh, Lloyd Center City Center exit. 
Yep, on the northbound lanes and everything's backed up. But, you know, there you go. All right. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. All right. Is this one of those days where it's supposed to be 100 degrees? No, but it's going to be hot. Oh, okay. You know, whenever there's an accident like that, I always figure we might as well just jack up the temperature and then start the looting just to get it all done at once. Here's Tim Riley. So Barack Obama uh, talks about the massive plonk, plonk, a bailout and the fact that investors lost a trillion dollars yesterday. This is one of those defining moments when the American people are looking to Washington for leadership. So it's not a time for politics. It's not a time for partisanship. It's a time for all of us to concern ourselves with the future of the country that we love. Turn, turn, turn. No one is looking to Washington for leadership. No one anywhere ever. Jay Leto comments. Give me an idea how bad the dollar is. I went to buy gold. They said, oh, we can only buy it with gold. Yeah, that's how bad it is. Uh, Barney Frank said things are a mess. The cause was too little regulation and the financial market getting itself into serious trouble. And now we have to, through government action, work with them to clean this up. I think it needs to be some regulation of the amount of dairy that Barney Frank is allowed to ingest before he speaks. Jesus. That was what on, uh, work on Wall Street say yesterday was bad, but it's not the worst they've seen. This isn't a depression. It's not the great crash. It's very small percentage-wise, you know what I mean? So it's not a crash. It's not. It's just a blip. You know, he's, he's one of those guys, though, that this isn't hot. You don't know from hot. You weren't here in 83. All right. Yeah, never mind. Go ahead. This lower Manhattanite says they don't believe Washington lawmakers understand how serious this is. I think the politicians need to stop politicking and take, and take into consideration the needs of their constituents because this isn't a case of crying wolf. What does Hillary think? Whatever we do decide uh, to put into uh, the bill has to guarantee... Is bill making margaritas in the background? ...goes in and guarantee that we won't lose votes by adding it. All right, no, no, seriously, play that one more time. What's going on in the background? It sounds like she's cracking nuts. Whatever That's what she we does, do Tim. decide uh, to put into uh, the bill has to guarantee votes before it goes in and guarantee that we won't lose votes by adding it. I'm fascinated by whatever's going on. I don't, I don't even know what she said. You played it twice. I couldn't tell you a single word that came out of her mouth. I'm fascinated by the weird clunky crunching sound of the back. One more time, please. <laughs> Whatever we do decide uh, to put into uh, the bill has to guarantee votes before it goes in and guarantee that we won't lose votes by adding it. It sounds like someone with a cup of ice, and, they're like, and they like are shaking the cup, and then they're crunching the ice. But she's on the microphone. Who would possibly be close enough that you could hear them swirling a cup of ice? Doesn't it sound like they're playing... Like Boggle or some sort of, like, what are they, the game with the plastic cup and the dice? Is that Yahtzee? Yeah, yeah, it is Yahtzee. All right. One more time, please. Whatever we do decide uh, to put into uh, the bill has to guarantee votes before it goes in and guarantee that we won't lose votes by adding it. And then there's some weird sound, like, at the, at the end where somebody's about to, it sounds like somebody's starting to speak. So is it possible they're just having highballs or something? It might be. What else is Hillary going to do? I suppose that's true. All right, it's Tim Riley. In order to put the brakes on... Uh, now the noise is gone. Not just a market uh, and a credit crisis, but uh, a mounting economic crisis. Well, all right. Uh, here's one final question, Tim. Maybe you can... Uh, we got... I was telling Sarah about this. We took some phone calls, and we got... Uh, I got probably 100 emails instantly with, like, I have an urgent question for The Economist, which is... You know, a little freaky when you see that. And, every, and every one of them is in all caps. Like, I have something I must know. Uh, and you get the feeling that, like, there's some guy there tacking up a pink slip in the door of their house, like, as we speak. Here's a question that actually several people said this, Tim. Uh, they said, they said, I have been wondering this. 
Why are we bailing out banks, not borrowers? Doesn't it make more sense to give money to the borrowers who would in turn pay the banks? That does make sense. Hmm. So that's a good question, actually. So because you got to figure if you're getting to the banks, the CEOs are getting part of that. Maybe not as much as everybody seems to think, but it seems like the CEOs are going to be getting a little bit of a wet kiss from that, as they say. So if the biggest problem is you get all these uh, guys who bought houses and they're like, now they can't pay it off. And so the bank is now short on money. And so then everything is going belly up. Why don't you just figure out how much it's going to cost to take care of all those house loans and you just give it to the folks with the proviso that, like, this can only be spent on your house loan. Give it to the bank right now. I'm going to watch you do it. I mean, that seems like a simpler solution, doesn't it? it the only other problem is it doesn't open up the credit lines so people can buy more. <laughs> well, because that, that's what we need in America. It's more credit for people to buy more things. Because that's the way America runs. Jeez. Regardless of what happens, people are going to continue to buy things on credit. Well, he could. Well, that's, that, what he that's what this country runs on. And he was noting, he said, I think, uh, you know, I can't speak for my parents, but he did note that it was not until very recently. in this country. Look, if you, if you didn't have money, you didn't buy something. Right. When did credit cards sort of hit the American market? Was that the 60s? 60s. So I, in the world, let me, as I relate all things like to Mad Men, in, in the world of Mad Men, are there credit cards? I believe so. They would be coming very soon. Like Diners Club, maybe? Diners Car Club was the first one. I believe that that started in the mid to late 50s. All right. So, I mean, because that really was just a, an absolute turning point mm -hmm. in America, right? When, you know, when you said, well, I want to buy a toaster. It's $5. I only have $1. And where in the past, you'd give them a, like... I don't know, a cow or your daughter's hand in marriage or something, or you'd haggle, or the guy would just go, no, it's $5, jackass, come back when you've got four more dollars. But starting with credit cards, the guy would go, well, you've only got one dollar, but uh, why don't you buy it now, knowing that he was going to get his money, and then the bank was going to get their money from the guy who bought the toaster, and if you were late, the bank was actually going to get their money plus like 20%. Even before credit cards, there was credit around. People kept paper records of things like that. Yeah. You, you would establish an account somewhere, and they would have it. All right. Uh, do we have people who are people who are clarifying the sound? Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. What's the sound in the background of Hillary Clinton's phone call? Oh, isn't that her whiskers rubbing against the phone receiver? <laughs> uh, well, I, I I like your sense of humor, sir, and your moxie, but uh, probably not. No. Uh, okay. Hey, Unless her whiskers are made out of glass. Not true. Heavy credit cards really started late '70s, early '80s. Tim is shaking his head no, as though you've been misinformed. No, no the. The really heavy use of credit as, as in credit cards. Oh, well, in terms of lifestyle, probably, yes. I yeah. mean, in terms of the American willingness to put themselves in debt, yes. Yes, yeah. in the late 50s and the 60s, you had to have stellar credit to get a credit card. You know, there was that whole period in the 70s and the 80s, and you would hear these news stories, which are probably somewhat apocryphal, but you would hear these stories about, like, a guy's dog getting a credit card offer in the mail. Mm -hmm. You know, yeah. because there'd be, like, some public record where it was, like, Bob, Cindy, and Fluffy. And one day you'd open the mailbox and there's, you know, Fluffy being offered $1,500 credit on, his, you know, like a Sears card or something. So yeah, my, my kid started getting credit card offers when he was like 10. You should totally have let him just run up that bill, man. They can't get you for that. You should have <laughs> let your kid stick it to the man like nobody's business. No, what we did is he's got two credit cards. He's got a uh, Visa and American Express. We put so much onto it, so he now he has an established credit. He has a better beacon score than I do. Excellent. All right. Thank you, sir. See you, man. All right, there you go. So, yeah, it's probably in the 70s that people probably went, yeah, why not put everything on this? It's a miraculous device. Probably during the first gas crunch. Yeah. Uh, well, somebody's saying, uh, is that crackling noise in the Hillary Clinton clip uh, camera flashes? No, of course not. It would be photographing Hillary Clinton at this point. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Rick, photographing it, Hillary Clinton was never really high in anybody's list. of that, that. You just had to do that because it went with speaking with her. You, nobody's really clamoring for photos of her ever. Uh, hello, sir. Rick, if you play it again, you can tell it's one of her other heads sucking out the uh, cranium of an infant. Thank you. 
Thank you. We didn't hear from George for a while. Is that George in Wilsonville? It sounded like This him. is like some sort of auditory caption this photo contest. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Richie, uh, can we obtain Nina Parker from TMZ? Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. Rick, hey. Mike Chase. Yeah, hey. How you doing? <laughs> oh, it's Mike Chase. Oh, I thought you said... My, I thought I heard MySpace. I heard Whiteface. <laughs> I guess no, they're no. all applicable in their own this, way. Hello, Mike this, Chase. This is the Whiteface, the, hor- the horrible Whiteface from The Exorcist calling. Remember that scene in The Exorcist with that white face? I do, the face with the weird pointy teeth and, like, the, uh, yeah. the blackened eye sockets. That's me. Yeah. No, it's Mike Chase. Hey, you guys are talking about credit, and um, I just happen to know a little bit about this, like a tiny amount, which might get the conversation going in a fairly interesting direction. Not that it's not already interesting, but there's this thing about the economy, I guess, called fire, which, you know, we used to have the military-industrial complex. You know, all the military spending and the buildup was what the economy was kind of based on for right. a while, like in the 50s. Okay, but... Slowly and surely, that's been replaced by FIRE, which stands for Finance, Insurance, and Real Estate. So the financial industry is a huge motivator, huge engine of economic, not even growth, but dysfunction in this country. So without these, you know, bailouts, these operations will not, you know, continue to grow the economy because without credit, people don't do things. Right. They don't buy things. Right. Well, because we've so. become so habituated and acclimated to, uh, you know, to using credit for everything. Uh, right, right. Um, so because that obviously that grows your numbers. You know, if you're just having people pay dollar for dollar what they can afford, fewer people can participate in the economy at a meaningful level. But if you get people going on credit, not only do you make a ton in finance charges, but you get people, more people coming to the party. Well, that goes to your point, Tim. How a lot of these bad loans were done to people who are from uh, perhaps lower income or disadvantaged communities yes. and sections of the uh, of, of the socioeconomic strata, and. It, it, it was sort of a, hey, why don't you join the American good life like everybody else? Uh, I know you can't really afford it, but just uh, come on. What do you say? And as you said, it's just people participating in the economy often to a level that is uh, disadvantageous to them. All right. right. Thank you, Mike I Chase. You bet. Nice talking to you. Hey, sir. How you doing? Good talk. You got to go. Bye. Oh, okay. All right. Um, off to clean a blood stain out of something, no doubt. Uh, so um, what was I going to say? Participating. Oh, but so here's my thing. You know, Dennis Miller makes this joke, and actually I've, I've sort of made variations on the same statement myself over the years, which is that you talk about oil, and I, I, I think we were talking about this last week. Remember when oil, like gas prices were our biggest problem? I don't know. The whole economy is going to crumble because of gas prices. Oh, do we go back to just a month ago, you know, when everybody's biggest issue was that their stupid SUV was going to cost more to fill up. Gee, this is really what – Laura's kind of a hippy-trippy, you know, kind of nitwit crystal gazer herself in some ways, and – um she has this whole thing about, like, whatever you put out to the universe, the universe responds to. You know, she's like, if you. So, like, whenever I complain about my job or the day, she's like, don't complain. If you complain about your job, the universe will think you don't want it and it'll take it away. And, and so, of course, I, and now, like, a knock wood thing, I actually find myself like, okay, not going to complain. But, uh, but anyway, so, you know, talking about the gas prices and whatever, this is what we get for complaining about gas prices as though it were the worst. It is as though the universe decided to go. Look, you're making just the biggest mountain out of this gas price thing. Uh, I'm going to give you some sense of proportion and perspective right now. Uh, you know, just everything up in flames. We'll get uh, Nina Parker from TMZ here in just one second. But uh, it, it is sort of like how I, con- I kind of joke that I want to just use up the oil as fast as possible because then we will have no alternative but to find a different way to power everything. So really, we ought to just drill everything right now, and every everybody ought to just drive an SUV. doesn't matter. You have to go 15 feet down the street. Uh, you know, to walk your dog, take an SUV, because the sooner we use up all the oil, the sooner we'll have to find solar power or something else that works. And it's almost tempting 
you know, to embrace that same kind of fatalistic nihilism with this whole thing and just say, well, look, screw it. It sounds like it's going to get worse before it gets better anyway. Let's just have it get terrible, and then maybe on the other side, they'll have to figure out some other way to run the economy so they're not having to unplug everything and let the hard drive spin down every 15 years. Oh, very puzzling. Uh, it's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from TMZ.com, the one, the only, Nina Parker. Hello. Hey, how's it going? It is going, uh, it's going relatively well, I would say, under the tumultuous circumstances. Okay. <laughs> All right. Um, so, TMZ, so you guys, uh, and I'm looking for the TMZ uh, prep sheet, and I apologize for not actually having this in front of me, but, um, but you guys are talking a bit about the Heath Ledger thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we were definitely talking about that. Um, basically, what was going on with that is that Heath Ledger had a life insurance policy that was left to his daughter worth $10 million. Right. His death was not ruled suicidal. It was ruled, ruled as an accident. Now, the insurance company that's supposed to be paying out to Matilda actually is trying to dispute this and say that maybe it was a suicide. So they're trying not to pay this $10 million. They're actually going and having an investigation into the whole thing. Even though the New York City coroner has said, you know, it was not a suicide, it was completely an accident, they're, you know, basically trying to get out of paying this money. So it's a little unfortunate, but I guess that's what insurance companies do. They they try to get out of paying out what we pay them. So right now there's a lot of drama with that. Um, you know, little Matilda's not getting her money that uh, was set out for her. Well, and I, you know, and I do understand that maybe right now big companies aren't necessarily looking for a chance to pay $10 million out, but it does seem like a special brand of sleazy to, uh, you know, to try to be shafting the kid out of the life insurance policy over something that is just is speculation, right? I mean, it's like... Right. Doesn't seem... And my other question would be, it seems like we have a long history in this country of... Uh, celebrity overdoses or deaths that are sort of endlessly debated and pondered upon, Marilyn Monroe, Monroe being the most obvious example. So if the New York County Coroner's Office couldn't show that it's a suicide, it does sort of make you wonder how the insurance company thinks they're going to do it. Right, right. I'm, it's just strange to me that, you know, I could see if it was under investigation or if it came back inconclusive, but right. no, none of that had happened. So, and that had actually been closed a while ago. So, you know, they're, they're, now they're also saying, well, he may have lied on two of the questions when he filled out his policy. Just, you know, it, obviously this is going to get a lot of press and they should know that. So you would think that they would be a little bit more careful, you know, in dissecting something like this because it is really sensitive, uh, you know, and it's going to have a lot of eyes on it, especially because he's like, associated so right. it's a little sloppy to me but they're fighting it and let's talk about our good friend uh, ms locklear who i have to say this first of all i guess maybe it's just because nick nolte has either raised or lowered the par depending on how you look at it but she did not look nearly as bad in these uh, mug shots that i saw of her as i thought she would because you, you sort of hear dui and you immediately picture just bedraggled and bad and like with a tire track on her face and whatever but she looked okay if a little uh, wild-eyed is it true that she was just was she just circling in a parking lot or something yeah, she was, like, in a parking lot, and apparently a resident called, and she was in Santa Barbara. A resident called and said that she was driving erratically, and California Highway Patrol came out and set the situation and found that she was under the influence. Now, she wasn't under the influence of alcohol. They, they're certain about that. What they're not certain about is what exactly she was under the influence of, if it was prescription drugs, what exactly it was. So that's being tested, so we'll have those results soon. But she may get out on a loophole because what we found is that because a resident called and the CHP didn't actually see her driving uh, that she may actually have a little loophole there to kind of get out of what she may 
you know, have ended up getting in the first place. So right. she may have a little leeway there just because CHP didn't see her driving themselves. And just so you know, just I'm just saying on, here on, on, on this side of the microphone, because I like to traffic in uh, unfounded gossip and ill-sourced speculation, until it's proven otherwise, I'm going to assume that she was under the influence of something terrible. I'm just going to assume that until there's evidence to the contrary, because it's what I do. You know, it's not looking good for her because she just got out of rehab not too long ago, so it's probably safe to assume that. All right. Uh, Nina Parker from TMZ.com, thank you so much. We will talk to you next week. Thanks a lot. All Have right. a good one. Thank you, Nina Parker, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we'll do a couple more. We'll do these phone calls, then we'll break. We will come back on the other side with uh, our next Birth of a Salesman semifinalist, uh, Jim Roop from CNN, and uh, Lisa Wood's top five teenage moping songs. Tim Riley? Well, you have a choice, Sarah. Would you like a geek watch or a cannibal watch? Sarah? Ladies' choice. Geek or cannibal? Let's go for Cannibal. Cannibal. cannibal All right. Cannibal Watch for Tuesday. Is it only Tuesday? What with all the uh, failing all around, it does seem like we're already at Thursday at least. All right. Here's your Cannibal Watch for Tuesday. So, jury section uh, selection is underway in Texas where a man accused of killing, dismembering, and drilling his ex-girlfriend. Timothy Wayne Shepard, who's 28, confessed Don't you mean his, his grill friend? I guess so. <laughs> uh, he confessed to strangling the Texas A.M. student and now faces trial for murder. Investigators say Shepard admitted strangling this young lady named Stewart because he was angry that she began a new relationship. They believe uh, Shepard dismembered her body and burned her remains on two, not one, but two barbecue grills. Dismember? I barely knew her. Days. Oh. Mm-hmm. Officials first out that the body had been disposed of in a large commercial trash bin, which had, which had since been emptied. Authorities believe her remains were scattered in several overflow landfills and that the search would be expensive and nearly impossible. In the days following the arrest, authorities say they could not search for Stewart's body because there was very little chance of success. The decision anchored family and friends, and complaints from activists and lawmakers prompted them to get emergency approval to spend $500,000 to search, but the search never began. Uh, apparently, there were no body parts to find. Investigators were unable to release any information to the public or to the family because of the investigation. Wait, so I'm confused here. Did he did he grill her, like just for a goof, or did he grill her and then consume her? Uh, let's see here. I don't see anything about eating eating on here. Wait, so he was just grilling her like so didn't... as just an aesthetic choice? Maybe it was practice for something in the future. <laughs> she might have been a dry run. Mm-hmm. Um, and on two different grills? Two, yeah. Why wouldn't you? I mean, look, I mean, maybe she was a larger woman, but even so, if she was dismembered, mm-hmm. I mean, how big can a leg be? Maybe there are oh. two different recipes. Maybe it was like, they're just doing one regular style, one Cajun style. <laughs> yeah, over here you got the, you got regular girlfriend. This is a blackened uh, girlfriend with a, uh, you know, with a, with a garlic rub. All right. I was going to, maybe it says, unless it's like a hibachi kind of a thing, in which case maybe you have to, uh, you know, one has to go down to uh, to kebab size for that sort of a thing. That's exactly what I was thinking. You know the phrase I like, Tim? What's that? And it's an item you can buy at the store? Kebab rod. Let's say kebab rod. It is a rod. Of... Now, look, I know we use a lot of lingo here, but I think that's self-explanatory. A kebab rod is what is the you know the, the rod on which you make kebabs. You know what I mean? Like you go to get kebabs off a guy's grill, and there's that skewer thing. That is the specific kind of skewer on which you put kebab fixins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is not just a regular old skewer or a stick or a pointy thing. It is, in fact, a kebab rod. All right. Which, and I like the idea that a kebab rod can be bought at Kitchen Caboodle. 
So there you go. Oh, there's, a, there's one right next to me, as a matter of fact. A kebab rod? A kitchen caboodle. Okay. You know, sometimes we're doing this show over here and over there. Sarah's just shaking her head at us. As though she's wishing desperately that she could go back and change all those years of college and end up somewhere else. Well, I don't really have much to pitch in on with the economy. But no, no, no. This is, know, this is a... girlfriend. Oh, come on. Everybody has something to say about that. Let's see what this guy has to say about it. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson Show. Hello. On AM 970? KCMD Portland. Thank you. Uh, it's the spinner from the game of life, right? That noise? What noise? In the background, Hillary Clinton. Ah, I thought you might have been talking about the brand new mystery noise, sir. No, it, uh, is it the pop button from Trouble? Would you like to take a guess at the brand new mystery noise? The sound of Vince Foster being dug up for a voodoo ritual? <laughs> That's the weirdest thing anybody's ever said. Wait for it, listen. You know, if you close your eyes, I have the mystery noise. I can make it in real life. Well, let me play this one one more time. I'm actually going to close my eyes here so I can do a little theater of the mind. I got nothing. I have no idea. All right, here it is. Am I keeping my eyes yeah. closed? All right. Okay, let me play it one more time over here. Whatever we do oh, decide uh, to put into uh, the bill has to guarantee votes before it goes in and guarantee that we won't lose votes by adding it. No, no, that's Muppet chewing on a ball of tinfoil. All right, thank you. Bye now. Let's take a break. We'll come back around the corner. We're going to talk to our next birth of a salesman semifinalist. I think the crazy in the air out there has started to become the crazy in the air in here. This is how it begins. Next thing you know, we're all going to be jumping around in our underwear and wearing clown hats. Uh, Lisa Wood comes in with her top five. We'll do the inaugural edition of The Greatest Songs Ever Made. More of your phone calls and Tim Riley. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Thank you for coming along. It's 503-733-2970. In just a moment, we will uh, talk to the latest semi-finalist in uh, the birth of a salesman competition. Uh, Lisa Wood from Rock 101 KUFO will be sharing her top five teenage lovelorn moping songs with us. Uh, we're going to talk to the Cena Radio correspondent James Roop uh, in a moment or three minutes ago, depending. Uh, more from Tim Riley. We have uh, somebody who uh, submitted the, the Palin Watch a uh, Cal, white wheat right. sourdough English muffin bagel. You want to just play it now? Yeah. All right. So this is Cal. Uh, he, yeah, he of the white wheat sourdough English muffin bagel. And I think didn't he also do the oscillating fan thing? He did. He does right. a lot of our things. Uh, so this is Cal's submission uh, for Palin Watch. So I have not heard this. We're going to be you and I will be experiencing this together. Hockey mom. You can put lipstick on a pig. She's ready to do anything she wants to do. It's like having an epileptic fit. <laughs> it I, really is. Wow. He, he said two, actually. There's another one. Let's try the other one. That was... Uh, yeah, that was... They were, they were both a little a little crazy. That one's like I'm having just bright phosphines go off in front of my face or something. Okay, here we go. Hockey mom. You can put uh, lipstick on a pig. It's still a pig. I'm a hockey mom from... Eh. It might be too much. Yeah, it's a little too frantic for my taste. 
Uh, what do I know? All right, uh, Richie Bristol, can we uh, welcome now to the uh, Rick Emerson studio here the latest entrant in the uh, AM970 Birth of a Salesman competition? Let's also welcome Rock 101 KUFO Promotions Director Lisa Wood. Hello, Lisa. Hi. How are hi, you today? Hi. Good. How are you? I am fantastic. All right. Uh, we'll go, is this uh, this is Mike? We'll put Mike on on that microphone right there. How are you? Hello, sir. How are you today? I'm doing great. How are you? I am uh, fantastic. Excellent. Uh, apparently, we're all without the. We're largely without headphones today. Very all right. <laughs> all right. So uh, for those who've been listening, so the deal is uh, we had uh, everybody go to AM to 970.AM and they submitted in 100 words or less uh, why it is that they wanted to be an AM 970 salesperson. I mean, apart from the obvious esteem that it brings you and the you know, the respect that it will earn you among friends and family. Um, and then from that, we did uh, 10 callbacks. Five uh, folks are going to come to the studio here, and then of those five, uh, three will sit down for 15 minutes with uh, General Sales Manager Michael Fashana. Perhaps one walks away uh, with the gigs. So uh, you are the latest, Mike. Now, I don't have your entry in front of me, so let me just ask you this question. Who is Mike? Who is Mike? Who uh, are you? Where do you come from? Uh, currently, Mike is a bartender at the airport, but uh, before that, I was... Uh, <laughs> Selling uh, selling Spanish language yellow page ads. You were the guy that was selling Spanish language yellow page ads. You don't speak any Spanish. I don't speak a lick of Spanish, not at all. <laughs> but uh, somehow I was the top salesperson for about three months running. What I mean, did you just go in and sort of just, I mean, did you gesticulate wildly? No, I just uh, everybody else was. Or just mutter a lot. <laughs> you know, I I, I I tried the bag of oranges. Zapatos. But no, I, I you know I'd go in and uh, everybody else was going for the Spanish businesses. Right. I would go for. The English-speaking businesses oh, to try okay. to convince them that they needed to. All right. That ah. So you go to the guy, you go to the English-speaking business that is trying to get maybe the Spanish-speaking clientele. Yeah. And you say, the English-speaking guy, meet Spanish-speaking guy, bam, buy something. Yeah. Yellow, buy yeah. something. It's spoken like a true American. And so now, were you able to support yourself with that? I was. I was actually. Now, what did now? Why did you leave that? If I can ask, why did you leave that line of work? I, you know, I, I, uh, the company was going through a lot of restructuring, and uh, is that code for? Uh, Mike, we're going to have to um, ask you to get out. No, no, it wasn't. It was my choice. Uh, I had an opportunity to bartend again, which I did all through college, and just kind of missed doing that. So let me understand this. You had a successful sales gig, which you then left to go be a bartender. No offense, Sarah. Well, you know, it was a successful gig. It was The uh, the commissions were great for what they were, but the, for the company and what the product was, I, I make more money bartending. It's not like... It's uh, so sad. <laughs> no, it's not. It's, it's the airport, you know. It's... Uh, Seriously, well, yeah, I was going to say, so you're at a, you're at the airport bar, so on the one hand, well, I was going to say, you probably don't get a lot of hot, drunk chicks coming in there, though, because it's probably all just like... No, you know, there's uh, last week we did have a, a bunch of upset uh, USC fans come through. But, really? Yeah, that was, uh, tips went down that day. Dude, let me ask you this, just, I have a, bartending fascinates me, and you know, Sarah works as a bar back, and it's a thing that I, like, I could never do... I, I would function poorly in that environment. I uh, that is a thing at which I would not excel. But you know, the people sometimes they get very loyal to their bartender, and that's why you know if you get a uh, if you get a loyal clientele, loyal customer base, then you really be in the chips. But how does that work if you're at the airport? Do you have such a thing as loyal customers at the airport? You bar? know, there actually are. There's a lot of business travelers that come through. Um, yesterday we actually served a drink to Tanya Harding. Really? Yeah. <gasps> Did you what? get to? Yeah. What does yeah, she order? Right. Uh, it was some Bloody Mary, I think. Of course. Did she ask for a celery stick? <laughs> no. It, it, I fought the uh, the urge to call it a Bloody Kerrigan the whole time, but oh. yeah. All right. Oh, well, fair enough. Hey, let me ask you this: In your whole time being a bartender, did you ever see somebody get a glass of beer and then they put salt in it? Yeah, yeah, all the time. Or see, a lot of course, light drinkers. See, it's not just my mom. I knew oh, there no. were other people. Yeah, that's huge. What is? Well, I was going to ask the earliest you started. Wait, when does the bar there open? 
Uh, it opens at 7 a.m. And you probably got people at, like at 7 a.m. Right. Well, because everybody's on different time zones. Yeah. Schedules. Or they just don't want to fly. They don't want to fly. No, or they screw that. Fly. I'm going to get me all lubed now, which, up. Which bar is it? Is it the one before you go through all the security? Or no, the one it's after? one after. Kate oh, I love that one. Yeah. With the giant mugs of beer. The one. Oh. <laughs> no? No, yeah. not ours. We have uh, Well, if you go through now. security and then you make a right and you go to that terminal. We're, we're actually, we're, we're directly across the Starbucks. Oh, okay. We're the first one you see. And here, and oh, of course, right. because it's the Portland airport, people can drink at a reasonable price. That is true. All right, excellent. True. All right, so uh, let me ask you this, just not to be all like vague about it. What is it, you, uh, Mike, that you believe you would bring to the AM 970 sales team? Well, you know, before I moved to Portland, I was actually, I sold uh, I sold um, on-air ads for uh, a station in Westwood, California. What was the format? It was a uh, classic rock. Really? It was actually a CBS station. All right. Up there. Okay. So you, wait, so you have already worked for CBS? Yeah, I've, I've, I've sold ads for CBS and was the co-host of the morning show. What was the name, if I can ask, what was the name of the morning show? It was Greg and Furry in the morning. Greg and Furry. <laughs> yeah. All right. I think my last name. All right. Uh, and so, uh, now, were you, are you were... Furry, but I mean, were you a uh, uh, straight man, sidekick, giggle guy? You know, I mostly I was, dude? I was mostly the sidekick. I ended up getting there at 5 a.m. to do all the uh, the post stuff and get it, you know, get topics ready. Right, right. All that, but how much of your job consisted of saying things like, ha, ha, "Oh, it's so true." A lot, and uh, we had the squeaky toys, and uh, I, I was. Did you part. really? Yeah, it was. Oh, no. it was really Dingo weird. and the baby. Yeah, seriously, yeah. seriously. <laughs> You know, where a guy would go like, hey, you know, when women like to shop and men don't. And then you go, that's right. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. All right. That's cutting edge radios. With Where's that. my cowbell? Yeah. Uh, all right. So if somebody came up to you and they said, all right, I want you to describe AM 970 as though it were a car. What kind of car would this radio station be? Whole station. Oh, uh, this would be a, uh, I'd say this would be an Escalade before the gas shortage. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Maybe like an Escalade that runs on pure hate? Pure hate, pure All hate. Right. Okay. Rims that spin out of spite. All right. If this uh, radio station were pizza, what would its toppings be? I'd say anchovies and pineapple. I like your style. That's a really good answer there. That's Can I say this? I didn't mean to sound like I'm just giving you a big <laughs> tongue bath here, but you got a really good bearing about you. Well, thank you. You have, a, I would say, and I think that probably Lisa and Sarah could weigh in this, you have a very uh, natural, easy confidence about you. <laughs> well, thank you. Yeah. I expected one of your past jobs to be security. Or no, bouncing? No, not at all. I did. I did actually work at a at a porn shop here in Portland. Though. Really? As like just giving guys a thumping if they were hanging around too long? Or? Yeah, it was graveyard shift. It's oh, that that's quiet. Be a lot of fun. Like, yeah. I'm nice, but I will kill you. Was it one of those where bad people could go in and loiter for a while? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was uh, right up on Burnside. Loiter oh, for okay. uh, three and a half minutes. Right. Right. <laughs> all right. Um, and I also have to say this: you do, for some reason, look like. I mean, you're a very youthful-looking man. You do, though. It kind of look like in an alternate world you could be like a cop. You could be like a detective. Really? Seriously, like you could be, you could almost be a detective. If, really? You know, I was going for the whole Willie Lomax thing with the jacket. Well, I could see that. Thing. No, you, you know, what he kind of looks like he looks like a much smaller Matt Peterson. Oh, totally, right. and yeah. b- better kempt. I've also heard Frank Black. <laughs> Frank Black, oh, yeah. I could see yeah. that. Black, yeah, black. yeah, yeah. Yep. I was also going to say you kind of look like a younger white version of uh, of Detective Bunk Moreland on The Wire, which is, I think, why I was making that cop kind of Is that Forrest right Whitaker? No, 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 it wasn't Forrest Whitaker. So I've heard that I looked like the white Forrest Whitaker part of it. Really? Yeah. No, both your eyes work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, so final question. So let's say you go to talk to a guy, you say, Sir, I'm here to talk to you about AM 970. I'm here to help you grow your business, your revenue, your whatever. And he just kind of waves a hand and goes, hey, Get out of here with your crazy advertising schemes. Don't you know there's a recession on? You say what? I'd say, well, you know what? It's the smart businessman who's going uh, to advertise through the recession because those customers are going to be coming back. Dude. All right.
good. All right. That was really good. I'm going to tell you right now, you are one of the three who's going to meet with uh, Michael Chuck. I'll tell you that right now. Because money or not, people still listen to the radio. Seriously. And you know what? And and, and even if those customers don't think they have money now, they're going to have money at some point. And if you have top of mind awareness... You know, brand loyalty. Mm-hmm. Uh, then when they got that money, they're going to come back that to you. That was a really good answer. Well done. Well, Let me you. shake your hand. Sir. There you go. All right. <laughs> Excellent. All right. Well done. Wow. Congratulations. Well, thank you. All right. All right. So um, I was going to say we'll be in touch. Blah 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 blah. But we'll be in touch because I'm going to tell you right now, you're one of the three. So Excellent. Well, yeah. Thank you. You've, uh, I think you've impressed all of us. All right. This uh, building kind of a labyrinth. So Richie will kind of show you out here. Excellent. Um, well, thank you guys. All right. Thank yeah. you so much for coming in, my friend. All right. Have a good. All right. There you have go. Have a good that's, one. That's Mike, ladies and gentlemen. All right. All right, look, come on. He did well. That's yeah. what I'm talking about right yeah. there. And yeah. you're right. He has, like, he, he's not too overbearing, but he has, like, this calm confidence about him. Yeah, no. Where he would see people, a... like, him, him talking to someone, they would want to advertise just to be like, oh, yeah. that guy's pretty cool. And I would say he is a cliche, but he is one of those guys. You talk to him for a few seconds, and you feel like you've kind of known him for a long time. Mm-hmm. He's a very easy guy to talk to. Bartenders. So. Yeah, they are. I like the uh, the outfit too. He had kind of the natty threads going on. There, he looked so. like he was, you know, I don't, I haven't seen any of the other candidates, but he uh, he was dressing up, trying to, yeah. you know, look the part. All right, I like the cut of his jib, as they say. All right, uh, <laughs> let me see here. Make sure see if I've got your. Uh, go back up. I just saw my name. Where is it? Right here. The part that says Lisa Wood. Where? Oh, there we go. Why does it say A A A? Oh, is that because he wants it to be at the top of the list? All right, A A A Lisa Wood. That's like having like A A A Aardvark car rental or something. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado. Five, four, oh, look at that. Three, two, one, fire. Counting is wonderful. Counting is marvelous. Counting is the best thing to do. Counting is happiness. Counting is ecstasy. You want a chair or something? No, I like standing. Got the Tina Yather celebrity stool right here. Am I making you nervous? No. <laughs> no, I just didn't want to be rude. I was thinking last night, in 10 years, are we going to be doing the uh, top five songs we were listening to during the bailout? Yeah, well. <laughs> could be. 10 years when my 401k has finally <laughs> recovered. We're all crying. Yeah. All right. So uh, we have spent the past few weeks, more often than not, uh, reaching back into the annals of traumatic adolescence. Mm. And it started with Sarah Dillon. I did this list. Aaron Duran's on the list. Scott Daly. Tim Riley. Um, uh, Chris it's Paddock. Susan Reynolds. Susan Reynolds did it. Um, let's see. Tomorrow, Big Jim. Yep. You got uh, Court coming in, right? Oh, wait, no. Tomorrow, Court. Thursday, Big Jim. Yeah. Friday, Andy, the homeschooled kid. Uh, <laughs> we'll come in to do it as well. Uh, I think we're just going to exhaust. I think I'm just going to do it till we run out of people, it's, frankly. Yeah. It's I mean, been good. I've been listening. It's crazy. And I think somebody said, I would ask Sarah Wagner, but it's like, how much Jodeci do you really need to hear? Well, I mean, that's I can just do it, you know. didn't want to do it. Yeah, I mean, he goes, really, eh, people are going to like my R&B. Old Luther Vandross or something. <laughs> uh, so, all right. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, these are the top five songs to which KUFO Promotions Director Lisa Wood <laughs> would drown her teenage lovelorn angst. I made absolutely sure that there were specific, like, I remembered specifically crying at one point or another to each of these songs. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> and did you make sure that they're all filled with profanity? No. All right. No. Okay. Uh, all right. So uh, go ahead and do you have the uh, list? I do. I all have right. the list. Go ahead and count us down, starting with the honorable mention. Honorable mention. mention uh, the reason this didn't make the, the actual countdown... Is because yeah. although it's sad, and and I had my moments with it, it's also it's also not that depressing. It's I just love the song, 
This is and uh, it, it, it's like when you're, you know, it was like I'd be, I, I logged so many hours with The Cure. So this is The Cure, pictures of you yes. here at Honorable Mention. Oh, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Uh, the Cure, by the way, is the most frequently occurring artist. Is it? You know, as we sort See, of do I this a, whole thing. It was I, gonna, I was going to have the Sarah, mode somebody, but Scott took that. Yeah, well, I have this, actually. Um, yeah, so Sarah had The Cure, I had uh-huh. The Cure, you now have The Cure. Well, they're, yeah. they're really sad. Oh, no, they're, Robert I mean, Smith basically cries when he sings. Yeah. <laughs> no, every every year there is a new generation of, of angry, embittered, depressed teenagers born. Yeah. And they go right to the mall and they pick up disintegration and then they pick up a t-shirt, you know, that's yeah. just black, you know. Absolutely. Go home and just skulk around. Yeah. We had all, we had it all on vinyl and would sit in my friend's basement and just play records and, but, uh, but yeah, this one, I don't know. It was just that, that looming sadness of. Totally. Well, this whole album, Disintegration, is just a masterwork. The, you know, as Stan Marsh says in South Park, Disintegration is the best album ever. <laughs> I mean, it really is. Uh, you and, and the thing about it is, it's a collection of songs, Disintegration, but it's a collection of songs that all sound like one whole piece. Did I grab the instrumental? No, it has a long ass. It does have a. I covered this actually at a Cure cover night one time. Yeah. And I realized like it's not only a very simple song. No, to play, no, it goes. So they do this whole that the whole little chime thing again. Yeah, no, it does. <laughs> no, seriously, we're gonna go through the whole thing and then finally, like nine minutes into the song, you're gonna get that I've been looking so long. Yeah. Or whatever. By which point you've already just you know. Well, and it almost it, it, it's not too depressing, which is why I put it in the honorable mention. Yeah. By the time the lyrics start, you've actually already bled to death, and so yeah. you're not even really. You've already enough. cried, yeah. and you're coming back out the other side. All right. What is Number five. Number five is uh, Death Lover. Love, Love bites, bites, really? <laughs> yeah. And I have to say, there's a very specific when I was uh, <laughs> trashy. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Oh, I was a butt rocker. I when I was in middle school, I had the biggest crush on this kid named David Welch, and I moved away mm-hmm. to, to Washington. And then I went when I was like 16. I went back to Huntington Beach, spent a summer there. You know, reconnected after puberty. <laughs> of course. <laughs> and we were both just totally spent the entire... It was like out of a movie. We spent the whole summer together. We were, oh, we're in love. He came to visit me in Washington. Everything was great. And then, you know, you're 16. It I'm, all falls apart. I'm picturing Fred Savage and Acid Wash. <laughs> that whole summer, we just listened to Death Leopard. But Leopards. it's true. Hysteria had just come out. We literally... You know, you don't have a lot to do when you're 15, 16 years old, so we sat in a car and just listened to this record over and over. And so after my heart was completely broken, I went and saw Def Leppard and literally cried the entire time that they played this song. It was awesome. They were in the round. We, uh... Did you go to the show by yourself? No, I was with my friends. My friends! But they started playing this, and I was like, oh, David Welch, why did you break my heart? That's so great and lame and great. It's so lame. Uh, but, you know, we're talking about, you don't have that logic when you're a teenager. Oh, no, it, it all, I mean, the, the most the most ludicrous thing just seems seems perfectly okay and oh, natural yeah. and normal. Uh, we were always told this contained backward messages about Jesus, you know, bad messages about Jesus. So we were always a little afraid of this song. Because of the opening? The, yeah. The computerized love fights. Lisa Wood's top five teenage lovelorn moping songs. I don't know how we're going to top that. Uh, number four. Oh, God. George Michael. One more try. Here's what's funny, too. Yesterday, Fatboy was helping me download these because he has a program on his computer that can do that. People don't realize the song until they actually hear it. Yeah. They're like, no, I don't That's, that's not George Michael. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Well, we're seeing. I don't think I knew this was George oh. Michael. Not to be confused with Timmy T's "One More Try." And so, no, and that was what uh, what several people by the title think it yeah. is, but it's not. And a lot of people think this song is called "Teacher," I think, but it's called "One More Try." 
And uh, a couple weeks ago, I was uh, in a cab in Aruba. And this song was on the radio, and I was like, believe it or not, I thought about it. You crying then, too? No. <laughs> David Wright! Oh. But I was like, oh, my God. This ha- it had an immediate impact of a, of a very specific moment right. in my teenage years, and I was like, that has to go on my list. Well, you know, there's, uh, and I, you know, we've talked about this a lot on the show, that there are, you know, they always say that smell is the most powerful sense in terms oh. of its relation to memory. You know, like you get... Like, sometimes I'll go in, like, an old magazine store, and there's that kind of musty smell that mm-hmm. old magazines have, and it's like I go back to my flashback to my grandmother's house. Oh, yeah. But music has got to be at least a close second, because everybody has these things where you hear the song, and suddenly it's like, you are there. Oh, it was instant. It is 1986, and yep. you were at the school dance, standing in the corner, totally. unloved. Yeah. I would not have, I would not have remembered this song. And the other thing is that most people, you listen to the lyrics, I have no freaking clue what the hell this song no. is about. But, it's but just it sounds sad. Sad. It just breaks your heart, just the tone of it. This sounds like an honorary Billy and the Beaters song. Yeah, and this was more of a, of a we're sad together. Me and my friend, I had a friend named Missy, and we would lay in her bedroom on the floor and just blast the song and be like, we're sad. <laughs> and you don't really need any ex- further explanation. Was, yeah, like some, there was something to be sad about. There's yeah. always something to be sad about. I have an ill-defined <laughs> sorrow. All right. Lisa Wood's top five teenage angst-ridden, lovelorn, moping songs, number three. Patience. Of course. Has anybody else put this on? No. Uh, she had November Rain. That was about the closest. Ah. This is a, another total tie-in to teenage, you know, heartbreak. You know, wow. Rob Netterfield was his name. You know, everybody's big on dropping the full names on this show. <laughs> I was all like, there was a girl we'll call Cindy. Chris Paddock's like, her name was Terry Hinson. <laughs> it's true. I mean, you don't you don't forget those scars. Yeah. <laughs> I can't he wanted any... to be a drummer. He drummed on everything but a drum kit. <laughs> like he had drumsticks, but no drums. Right. <laughs> can't and, say anything bad about this. You know, Appetite for Destruction came out, and everybody flipped their lid. And oh, then, yeah. of course, Lies was, we thought, equally incredible. It's it's still Lies now. It really holds up. Some sections of it better than others, but there's moments on Lies that are still just as good. As, I mean, this song it hasn't dated at all. No. And that's the thing, like, I remember being 16 and bawling my eyes out yep. to this song, but yet I can listen to it now and it's not like, ugh. Yep. Well, it's this is, still a great song. Well, that is a Behold the Power of Izzy Stradlin, who wow. wrote this. Uh, and he, that's why when Izzy Stradlin left the band, a lot of the magic sort of dissipated because he, man, he would, he just wrote songs like with a wave of his hand. It's like he, the con- Izzy Stradlin in Guns N' Roses had this knack for writing fantastic Rolling Stone songs that the Stones never you know, wrote. Yeah. You, know, you know, like he would create these sort of modern-day Stone songs, which is what this is. Mm-hmm. I mean, this sounds like it's right off, you know, Sticky Fingers or something. And you can have all the talent in the world and without a good songwriter. Yeah. I mean, that's like the uh, the Salieri of the Mozart, you know what I mean? Like, wow. Like, I can sing, but I can't write a song you to save my life. You just bring Salieri to a Guns N' Roses discussion? Good for you. <laughs> but it's, it's that... Totally. You can have the talent, but if you can't write the songs, man. Don't you see the six? Sorry. I'm glad you got that. Yeah. I've used that before, and people are like, Ooh. Oh, I know. I dropped a Salieri reference like once oh, every really? three months. Yeah. Awesome. God, what a great song. I know. I, I could sit here and Axel bob to it all day. Oh, no. I'm a I'm a massive <laughs> Guns N' Roses fan. Oh, I know. I wow. know. I put that on there. I was like, well, oh. uh, maybe Rick will like that one. <laughs> no, everybody likes this one, sister. All right, Canada and Lisa Wood's top five teenage moping songs. Number two. Number two is a band that nobody seems to ever remember, but then when they hear it, they go, oh, yeah, New Zealand pop band Breathe. Now, this is a thing Chris Paddock would probably know. You'll know it when you hear it, I think. 
They had a record called All That Jazz. and Oh, right, okay. Literally, every song, most songs were a hit, but yet nobody remembers them. They were in like the Rick Astley time, sadly. I don't think I know the song, but I, I recognize, I think, the name of the band. I don't think I know anything by them. But... Really? I was kind of sheltered from the pop world. Okay. Well, I would say wait until you hear the hook. But the... Uh, they were all over pop radio. They were they were top forty. They you know they had huge hits. They had a song called Hands to Heaven. What but, do lame suburban kids dance to now? Because these songs, you listen to these beats, you know the dun dun mm-hmm. dun, dun. You know what that is? That's perfectly designed for. No, nothing. I don't oh, think I, I know it. This song? Yeah, see. Tim Riley, breathe. I remember this. When I was working at the <laughs> Really? See, this was huge in Simi Valley. And I was in Huntington Beach, and then conversely, Issaquah, Washington. Yeah. So, uh, nothing to do but immerse myself in obviously horrible music. And you listen to the beat of the song, and you realize this is made for lame suburban kids to hold onto each other and then rock back and forth in the gym. So is it like slow R&B now? Totally, but it's like, that's what, what is the it's new... Like, like, I don't know. Like, what is it? You can't do that to R. Kelly like or whatever. Or that's That's my thing. It's all like, what it is it that you do the beat. slow rocking horse dance yeah, to? Yeah, I don't think you do. I bet it's those American Idol guys. Oh, oh right. I can see that. Will you slow dance with me to Clay Aiken? I was just going <laughs> to, yeah. Let's put on some Justin Guarini and make so out all uh, night. Yeah. Just yeah. another breakup. It, they, they all seem to be breakup songs. Uh, Lisa Wood's top five teenage lovelorn moping songs, number one. Yeah, this one, is where I totally one. bring the room down. If I can't even further, it's Pearl Jam and Difference. Ah. Uh, My dad died when I was a teenager. Well. Yeah. <laughs> you you promised and you delivered. The yeah. room is down. There you go. Wow. But honestly, in the in the. I think everybody can relate to this, right? There's always that one song that, like, saves you. Right. In, like, totally. the hardest moments of hard. Totally. And it's it's a really intense song. It's not even really that sad. But it was, like, just crying. Like, yes, I'm going to be okay. Because that's kind of the whole message of this song. And Pearl Jam had this thing that most bands can't ever achieve. Uh, you know, and certainly more so than any of the other so-called Seattle bands. Pearl Jam had the perfect mixture of anguish, defiance, and triumph all mixed together. Yeah. And bands, you know, it's it's hard to get that. You know, back to the good songwriters. Yeah. Really. And I mean, an obvious example of something like Alive, but also, you know, a lot of the stuff off Versus is that way. That this is this is yeah. Where it's this like it's this like this tortured. Um, this tortured sort of focus and will to persevere. And it's not cheesy, which no. is like they, they pulled it off oh, they exquisitely. Sell it. Yeah. Right, and this that's like with this song, you it feels really sad, but at the same time, like you said, it's this it's this triumph of like right. I will scream my lungs out. You yeah. know, it's just so and uh I, I fully credit this song for getting me through that period. That's beautiful. It really is. Sorry to totally depress you. Hey no. I, Really? It was the Mopey song. This is like the 15th one of these lists <laughs> yeah, we've done. <laughs> you guys are numb. Oh, seriously. I. This song will now get me through the bailout. <laughs> or the recession, as it were. That's okay. Like a year or so ago, we had this brilliant idea. We were going to do the five most depressing songs ever written. Oh, God. And it was like on a Friday afternoon. 
And we ended with Johnny Cash singing Hurt. And oh. like, we ended the show, and the whole oh. my whole weekend was, was like, just... like, Cats in the Cradle. Did you just totally. drink yourself silly <laughs> yeah, all night? Scott Daly cry. We made Scott Daly cry because he just had a kid and was getting a divorce. Oh, and so we no. played Cats in the Cradle. And he's You're like, I hate, I hate my life. I don't know how to love. I have a friend that was on the set of the of the video making of, of Hurt uh-huh. and said there was not a dry eye. Oh, oh I like, can't even imagine. crying. Not a loaded gun in the house. No. All right, Lisa Wood, thank you so much. Thank you very right. much. Back after this, more from Tim Riley and the inaugural edition of The Greatest Songs Ever Made. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. And I won't change my mind. Hey, everybody, it's Weenie and the Butt here live at the Quahog Air Show. We're all ready for the Weenie Sound-Alike Contest. I don't know, Butt. I don't think they can say my catchphrase because they no funny. <laughs> Oh, there it is. And if you think you can say that just like Weenie here, you could win $97.1 for the cool weekend ahead. We have a butt. We, we have a butt. Cool weekend in the morning. 97.1 FM. Cool weekend in the morning with Weenie and the butt. WQHG 97.1. 97.1. 97.1. We, 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 we have a butt. In the morning. Cool weekend. FM. Weenie. Weenie. And the butt. And welcome back. Uh, excuse me, I, I gotta find a lost kid. Can I use your mic? That's what she said. Whoa, you got butt slam! <laughs> ho, 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 ho! Listen, I could really use a hand here. That's what he said. <laughs> butt slam! <laughs> That's Manic Monkey on 97.1. Manic Monkey, 97.1. Cool, weekends in the morning. Oh, weekend long. In the morning, in the morning. On the radio. And now, though, from the Ministry of Truth, this is Tim Riley. The Army is sending about 10,000 Fort Lewis troops to Iraq at a period for this winter into the summer of 2009. Uh, Major Kathleen Turner said this is the first combat deployment. Major Kathleen Turner? That's right. Major Kathleen Turner. Okay. Said this is the first combat deployment. For the I-Corps headquarter unit since the Korean War. She says they'll uh, take over in Baghdad as the command and control for multinational units. This will be the first deployment of the 5th Striker Brigade and the 3rd for the 3rd Striker Brigade. Fort Lewis troops are part of a 26,000 wow, troop group that the Pentagon is deploying to maintain 14 combat brigades in Iraq. Well, doctors are struggling to explain why a young girl spontaneously bleeds through her pores without being cut or bruised. Because she's evil. Her name is Twinkle. She Uh loses blood through her skin without explanation. Twinkle is a teenager from India. She has undergone... Oh, well, okay, there we go. No, yeah, I was going to explain it all. She has uh, blood transfusions after losing blood from her eye, nose, hairline, neck, soles of her feet, her blood is very watery and light in color, say doctors. Attempts to thicken it have failed. Doctors at the All India Institute in Delhi believe the teen may have type 2 potassium disease in which the blood is low in clotting particles. You think? That's not just like low clotting. Low clotting is when you nick yourself and it takes a while to heal. This is... Blood's just falling out of her skin. Mm-hmm. I kind of want to see that. If somebody can find a YouTube video, you just... Uh, you hook no. It up. All right. All those frisky boomers and, and seniors are now getting STDs for the first time. This is something nobody really wants to hear about. And, and yet, are yep. you going to read or are you going to decide to move on? Uh, nobody wants to think about this. Right, there you go. Thank you, Tim. They have normal bodily functions like the rest of us. <laughs> <laughs>
A former teacher who took off to Mexico with a 13-year-old student with whom she was having a sexual relationship has been sentenced to six years in the federal clink. 26-year-old Kelsey Peterson pled guilty to a charge of transporting a minor across state lines to have sex and avoided a similar charge that would have carried a mandatory 10-year minimum sentence. She's credited for time, sir, but will not be eligible for parole. That means she is not off the hook in Nebraska. This is where this all began, apparently. Leaving Nebraska for Mexico is palatable to the young fellow. Nebraska is that same place where you can kick your kids out of the hospital up to the age of, like, 17. So. He was the boy's math teacher. After the boy disappeared in October, soon after the school district superintendent confronted Peterson about allegations of an inappropriate relationship with the boy, she was arrested a week later in Mexico after the boy called his family. So that's that. All right. So much for the private tutor. That's it for news. Oh, I'm sorry. I just, uh, the tutor. I barely knew her. All right. Are you going off to prepare more news for the people, Tim Riley? I am. All right. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Tim Riley, greatest newsman in the history of the world, back at 4, 5, 6, and 7, uh, top of the hour all the way through Lycus. Get a couple of these calls. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Is this me? Yes, it is. Hello, sir. Hey, Rick. It's Ken. How's it going today? Hey, what's up? Hey, I sent you an email a couple weeks ago, and you may have not got it, um, considering how many you get. But I, I'd say a suggestion for a Sarah Palin watch. Which is? Um, the obvious choice seems to be uh, Hot for Sarah by the Young Immortals. Oh, hey, a little something there. Hot for Sarah. Uh, interspersed with some of her, like, uh, more inane sound bites. Yeah. All right. And one other um, suggestion. Uh, you were looking for a decapitation watch at some point a couple weeks ago. Were we or... looking for a decapitation watch? I don't believe so. All right. Well, let's pretend for the sake of this call that we were. Yes. Well, my roommate made, this, made a suggestion of a decapitation watch using uh, Heads Are Gonna Roll by Judas Priest. All right, fair enough. I don't really remember doing that. That might be just some sort of a fever dream you had, but it's a decent suggestion nonetheless. So. Might have been something where you just said, oh, don't call about that, please. Yeah, that, that, that might have been one of those ideas that fell out of my mouth that I immediately tried to just sort of just vaporize. So, all right, thank you, sir. Yeah, thank you very much. All right, one more here. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. Hello. Hi, I got your mystery sound here. Now, wait a minute. Are you guessing at the mystery sound, or do you have another mystery sound? Because we can't have, like, multiple mystery sounds. Well, <laughs> I, I know the mystery sound and actually have the thing. That All right, I hold know. on. Let's play it right here. Don't tell us what it is, but let me play here. Here's our mystery sound. All right, now, without identifying it, it make your own mystery sound noise. Well, I don't have it on me. All right, thanks. Bye. What was the point of that call? There was no point. No point. What was it? What was he hoping to accomplish there? What was your end game in that call, sir? I don't know. I'm glad that you hung up though, because I felt something crude coming. <laughs> I mean, really, it was. I don't have it here. It's in my pants. Let me get it out. Yeah. All right. All right. And we are now, uh, what, two days away from the Sarah Palin debate? Yes. You know, here's the thing. People wonder why we haven't talked more about it. We're going to talk a lot about it uh, tomorrow and then endlessly about it on Thursday. Somebody suggested we try to get Scotty J on, it, it, although he doesn't seem to be returning our calls. I called uh, him and left him a long message. Maybe he's busy with that burgeoning business of his, Sarah. Maybe I haven't he's, looked uh, at his mispace lately. I wonder if he's still, A, employed and B, married. Maybe he's uh, busily, uh, busily remodeling that home that's paid for. did he just buy a new home? Probably. I mean, probably just since he's left here, he yeah. probably bought a new one. And three or four more cars to go with it. Because, you know, why not? Uh, all right. So somebody suggested we have him in on Friday to do, like, a recap of the Sarah Palin thing. But I'm thinking we got to get him before Thursday. Before, before, because we're going to have a lot of thoughts, and then he's just yeah. going to be like, Well, Rick, well, I don't understand. Rick, let me just tell you, this got you journalism. Yeah. 
All right. Well, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, it is time to unveil a brand new feature on the Rick Emerson Show. We will do this uh, sporadically. It is time for the greatest songs ever made. Sometimes a phrase, a refrain, a set of words comes along, which, when put in the context of a three-minute pop song, makes you wonder why no one else had ever done it or done it as well. Such a phrase was found in a 1981 pop song, the creation of a man hailing from Baltimore, Maryland. Greg Kinn began, like many his age, by working in the singer-songwriter mold. Before he moved to San Francisco, grew his hair, and reached inside to find his previously undiscovered pop sensibility. He also honed a true rock and roll work ethic. Beginning in the mid-70s, he released a new album every single year, like clockwork, and stayed on the road going to every town, city, dive, or stage that would let him play. Albums from that time include Greg Kin, Greg Kin Again, Next of Kin, With the Naked Eye, and Glass House Rock. All of them ambitious, none of them more than moderately successful. And then, in 1981, he released the album Rock and Roll, and the song that changed everything. The story of a man who's lost his love, the song details our hero's state of mind as he whiles away the night in some nameless bar, drinking, dwelling on regrets, past happiness, or the other patrons who all seem so very happy. The soundtrack to all of this, an unnamed series of songs played by the band and the jukebox, songs that trigger such a potent cocktail of emotions that they all feel like breakup songs. And he says, to no one in particular, what we've all felt at one time or another, that they just don't write them like that anymore. One of the greatest songs ever made, this is Greg Kinn and the Breakup Song.
Hi, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's funny, we were just in the break, Sarah and I were talking, and I, and I know that it, largely because you don't, like, you don't have, like, a credit card debt, you don't have credit cards, that you're not knee-deep in the stock market or whatever. I know that to some degree, yeah, the stock uh, or the economic discussion is something you don't always feel like you can contribute to, but at the same time, you, like, you don't have the stress of a lot of it. It's funny, actually, now, during the break, Sarah and I were just, like, three solid minutes of, of discussion about this whole economic situation. Because um, I think a lot of people, and like us did uh, either two or three hours on this yesterday, where a lot of people were sort of in the same boat that I am, or you, or like us, were like, you know, like, F those guys. Mm-hmm. You got yourself into this mess, and if we keep giving you money, it's just going to be good money. It's going to be worse money after bad money after good money. Uh, so maybe it seems like in a free market system, you know, we've either got capitalism or we don't. And in the capitalist system, you run your business well. And, maybe, you know, if you run your business well and you put money aside, then you'll get yourself through hard times. If you run your business badly and you're basically just kiting checks to keep yourself solvent, you know what? When all that crap comes due, your business is going to be in trouble. And don't come to, uh, trying to take it out of my ass to pay for your bad business decisions. So, anyway. Uh, thus endeth the lecture. Except to say this. No, no, no. That ends the lecture. Uh, it's 503-733-2970. Except to say that I think that, you know, if we if, if if everybody just if the constituents just continue to dig in their heels, as they have been, rightfully so, I think, and they just tell politicians like, look, if you give these companies a trillion dollars, we will vote your asses out of office. You will be unemployed if you give a trillion dollars of our money away. Mm-hmm. So I think if the electorate sticks to their guns and the politicians really do fear for their jobs, which is the only way you can ever motivate a politician to do anything is by fear that he might have to get a real job someday. And if the politicians stick to it and they tell these companies, well, I'm sorry, you're going to have to get bent and you all are going to have to go get real jobs as well, it's going to cause short-term pain for the economy. It's going to cause, you know, things are going to go bad. Credit is going to go bad. Homelessness will go up. Uh, Bankruptcies uh, will go up. You know, all of the big ripple effect. But the only alternative is just to keep giving money to a bunch of jackasses who keep proving that they can't be trusted with money. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I do agree with people who say we could take that trillion dollars and just give it to some people who actually have personal debts. Uh, You know, we're really going to be bent on taking a trillion dollars from everybody and passing it all around like candy at a slumber party. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. It doesn't even make sense that that's even proposed, let alone maybe going to happen. Yep. No, I know. So it seems like we are either a, a system of capitalist values or we are not. Uh, you know, in a capitalist value, you either run uh, you either run your business correctly or your business goes under. Uh, if you run your business poorly, don't come whine to us to be helped. Uh, hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program. You're the final call of the day on the heels of an angry economic rant, so be good. Hey, Rick, hey, sir. I have a guess on what the mystery sound might be. You mean this mystery sound? Ah, <sighs> so gross. Keep in mind, I don't even know what it is, although Sarah does. What is your guess, sir? Uh, is it somebody uh, stirring up some mac and cheese? Sarah, is it somebody stirring up some, I feel like I'm in Family Feud, stirring up some mac and cheese? No, I have to tell you, it did, it came in a box. So there's this thing, I have it in this box right here. It's, I would say it's uh, smaller than a bread box, but bigger than a baby's arm, sir. Okay. All right, you got nothing. But that is kind of what it sounds like. All right. Thank you, my friend. Yes? Why so serious? Thank you. All right, there you go. All right, ladies and germs. Uh, We want to thank uh, CNN Radio correspondent James Roop. 
But we didn't actually show up, but what are you going to do? Uh, we want to thank Julie Walker and Bob Costantini, uh, as well as Mike, the birth of a salesman contestant, uh, Nita Parker from TMZ, and Lisa Wood from Rock 101 KUFO. Join us tomorrow morning. I guess we'll include Mr. Skin uh, and Court from KUFO with his teenage angst list. Rick Emerson, show produced today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen. For AM970, the talker in the newsroom, Tim Riley, and phones Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper, Dave Zinn, webmistress Bridget from upstairs, director of engineering, Brian Jones, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru, Susan Donut with me, Reynolds. Like us next. Michael Mara show at 7. See you at 10 for the recap, 11 for the show. Thank you for listening. What's up for snacks? Bye.